Welcome back to the Wheel Take Selly podcast. I'm Nick, joined by Andy as always. And it is May 4th, Thursday. We just got done with both first game, or actually all the first games of the second round. So this was Toronto, Florida, Colorado, or sorry, not Colorado, Carolina, and New Jersey, Dallas and Kraken, and then the Edmonton Oilers in Vegas. We have ended the first round, obviously moved on to the second round. We've had a lot of good first round matchups. Before I get into any of the assessment of the first round and the second round, I'd just like to say some stats that I came across on the internet. The first round this year was the most viewed first round with an average attendance of just under a million viewers per game. Um, I believe the number was like 959,620 or so. So we're seeing a lot more viewership in the first round in the American broadcasts, which is huge. I know me and Andy on this podcast have critiqued ESPN, but we've critiqued them in ways to at least improve their broadcast. It's not to say that, oh boy, you know, ESPN is is the broadcaster and we got to deal with that for the next eight years. It's more so, hey, we have ESPN now. We have a good range of viewership with how popular ESPN is. So here are just some ways for it to get better. So nonetheless, it's great to see that viewership is up. And I don't know if this was an all-time stat or just a stat for first round, but the game seven between Florida and Boston had a viewership of 3 million, 3.059 million uh, viewers, which was the highest of a game seven. Again, I don't know if it was the first round or all time. I got to imagine it wasn't all time with some of the, you know, previous game sevens we've had in the past. But again, this is these are just more stats to show that, you know, the sport is growing. And even though it's through ESPN, which Andy and I are critical of, it's at least a way to to get more views here in a sport. I've actually had friends here at Cortland. Um, I don't know about you, Andy, but I've had friends here at Cortland who are like, yeah, I never watched hockey, but I, I put it on for the first time and I just fell in love with the sport. Like, I love how fast paced it is. And these are people who are mainly football fans, mainly basketball fans, some baseball fans. But it's just good to see that I think even though we're critical of ESPN, it's getting those your typical basketball viewers, your typical football viewers and partially your baseball viewers. Uh, and And I hope to see the game continue to grow i hope the second round continues to have those viewerships and you know i hope that when espn has these stanley cups because they will be the one broadcasting the stanley cups i hope we see some really good viewership and uh participant efforts in that without further ado we can get right into reviewing the matchups unless you had anything to add there andy i was just gonna say here here (laughs) (laughs) yeah so Top story has to be, and we'll start here, has to be Boston versus Florida. Uh, As Andy and I were talking on the podcast, I said that game four was a wake-up call for Boston with how um, previously Florida defeated Boston in TD Garden 6-3, to and it was a very dominant win. Kind of showed like, oh boy, this, this Florida team has the capabilities of being physical, being in your face, forechecking great, and just 
pounding you in and, and, and putting you in a corner. And that's exactly what they did to the Bruins. I always say, and I was telling my friend this, who's trying to get into hockey game four is the most pivotal game in a series because it's a difference between many different scenarios. Very rarely. It's the difference between a three, nothing series lead and a two, one series lead. But in my case, it's the uh, biggest game four. Oh yes, game four. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's it's the difference between a three-one series lead, sorry, and a two-two series lead. So that's very, very, very uh, pivotal. You know, you never want to go down three-one. It's very hard to win three straight. So being down three-one is is difficult to come by. But Florida was able to manage it, and they were able to manage it pretty convincingly. I know that. Uh, I believe Florida never won a home game in that series. I, I think Boston took all the road. No, they actually did they? No, uh, I think they, they game six. Game six they did they win, yes, because they forced yeah. it. They forced it to uh, game seven. So both teams again, and and this was a reoccurring theme in all the series. But again, the the road teams just seem to perform better. I don't know what we can attribute that to, but um, it just kind of seemed like home ice advantage didn't matter too much. But it is to say, with Boston being the number one team in the regular season, and I and I kind of said this in our group chat to Ryan, who's the Bruins fan. I said, you guys do realize that if you don't make it to the cup, or at the very least don't make a deep run, nobody is going to care how well you did in the regular season because the expectation after having a good regular season was to make it to the Stanley Cup and and possibly win it. I think it'd be a pretty hard and unfair expectation to put on a team to win the President's Trophy and the Cup because you if you go back in history and look at it, I believe only three teams have won the President's Trophy and the Stanley Cup. And this dates back, boy, I want to say 38 years ago when they started tracking the President's Trophy. So it's a pretty unfair expectation to put on a president's trophy winning team, but this president's trophy winning team was like no other. They had beaten the all time record for points and uh, wins. So their expectation was, was exactly to win the cup and anything less than that would be seen as a failure being out in the first round. You know, the top story after the game seven loss was what a failure, what a disappointment, you know, is this the biggest choke job in sports? The only other comparable people were saying was the Patriots on undefeated record in the regular season to then lose to the uh, Giants in the, in the Super Bowl in, I want to say, 2007. It was. This, this is where we're at with this Boston team. And, you know, I was trying to make the point, like I said to, to, uh, to Ryan, if you don't do anything in the postseason, nobody's going to care how great that regular season was. And my comparable was the 2019 Lightning when they had tied the Red Wings of 97, I want to say, with the the wins record, which was 62. They tied it. Their expectation was cup. And when they got swept by the Blue Jackets, that became a very disappointing season. I mean, the biggest meme coming out of that was their apology yeah. letter to their fans. You know? <laughs> the tweet. And what was so funny is the moment – uh, and I saw I follow multiple accounts. So there's one account on Instagram called NHL.discussion. 
and of course a couple of other just like their regular NHL account, uh, their their PR account. Some follow teams. all of them. Yeah, some teams and all of those accounts when they you know either showed the final score of that game seven. Uh, they talked about anything relating to game seven. The comments were full of the 2019 lightning tweet to their fans. And I think what you're seeing is how much, how like much worse this one was. So I, I just got to say, like, I never counted Florida out. I said that their biggest game was going to be game four. They put in the effort. They won three straight. And you know me, any chance I can get to talk about an American player, I will. Matthew Kachuk, Con Smythe performance <laughs> right now. If he continues with the pace he's on, he's going to get a couple of hardware uh, trophies in the future with a Stanley Cup and a possible Con Smythe. I don't know, man. If Anderson plays the rest of the games and keeps up what he's doing, he's going to have some competition, I think. But uh, now I think just to piggyback off of what you said, I, I think... Yes, the Bruins certainly had some of the highest expectations among any team that has ever made the playoffs this year. Um, but again, I mean, I want to go back really to the preseason, I think, uh, podcast that we did. Or even if we didn't, it is conversations that you and I or the, or the group chat have, has had, which is that I just I just don't think from the end of last season to the beginning of this season, I, the, the performance that Boston was able to put together, and granted, I will chuck it up to having a new coach uh, wholeheartedly. I think Jim Montgomery brings a certain personality to the locker room that uh, Cassidy probably didn't. And quite clearly, a lot of guys, um, De, DeBrusque included, number 74 on the Boston Bruins um, thrived off of, you know, the, it, the Brusque had more than just a career year. He, he's, he had a, a year that we can finally um, put to his name and say, yeah, let's go back to 2015 and look at those three picks again from the first round. You know, something has finally really amounted to, to that. Um, but Bearing in mind the fact that when it comes to the playoffs, let's look at last year and let's look how it ended and how much different is that team player-wise from the one that we saw today or this past week. It's not all that different. The coach is different. And here's another thing about Jim Montgomery. Nothing against the guy, but I, I didn't see he wasn't exuberating confidence standing at that bench. He, to me, I, I know he's less experienced. I know he doesn't have no experience at all in the postseason, but I think he's only been in, I think he's only coached one other postseason series. I could be wrong. Maybe we can look that up, but um, he just did. He was not standing on that bench. You know what he reminded me of was uh, Jay Woodcroft on Edmonton. Neither of those guys, when I see them on the bench, when they pan to them, none, neither of them are standing there in, a, in, a, in conducting a tone a la Brenda Moore, a la Mike Babcock, a la Gerard Gallant, uh, Gallant. You know, when you see those guys standing behind the bench, they look like they know exactly what's going on. 
They look like they know exactly what they want to talk about when they get another timeout or when they're back in the locker room. And to me, I just didn't see that from Jim Montgomery, specifically in game seven. And so I think a lot, I mean, I know, I know for a fact that this season was a very overrated season for Boston. They played well beyond any preseason expectations that they had. Um, and to tell you the truth, I don't know if you saw, but I think Money Puck came out with data, a data chart that was actually supporting with statistical evidence the fact that they had such an overrated season. Um, and really, I mean, I, I'm not too surprised that Florida was able to mount the comeback. Um, Florida, after that game five loss, when they showed up for game six, and it's, or yes, game six specifically, I think that was the game that they tied it with like 50 seconds left to go. You know, their season had 50 seconds left and they tied it up to continue playing. Um, they, after that game five loss, began playing like a playoff team needs to play. Um, Devils, Rangers, and Hurricanes have all been very good examples of this, where you're just hounding the puck, hounding the guy with the puck. If a pass is made, a new guy steps up hounding that guy. When you watch the Hurricanes, when you watch the Canes defense track a forward who's ripping in around the back of the net and then coming back up to the blue line, you don't see that Canes defender step off him and let a, let a forward step in. What you do is you see the forward step back and you watch the defense and follow that guy. Um, relentless hockey is, is where playoff wins stem from. And relentless hockey is the reason why the regular season success doesn't translate into postseason success, because you don't need to be relentless like that in the regular season. Nobody's trying to dog it like they are in the postseason. Nobody's trying. Nobody is in the postseason. Guys are emptying the tanks every single shift. And that just doesn't happen in the regular season. And that's why they're two totally different games. And um Ultimately, you know, I still did pick Boston to win the first round, but I didn't put them past the second round. So at the end of the day, it's not all that much of a shock to me. I will say the fashion that it that it occurred in was pretty shocking. You know, going up 3-1 in that series with Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron on your team. I mean, it, uh that was shocking. Um, but the first round exit, you know, if it happened in a different way where it was like the home team won every game, but game seven, I, I would have been even less shocked than I am still today. Yeah. So to your point about his like previous playoff experience, he was with the 2019 Dallas stars during their playoffs. It was the first time they had made the playoffs in three years. I'm trying to find the series as is just to give everybody a, uh, an example of what his playoff record looks like. But I do know that in the second round, Dallas lost to the Blues, I want to say in seven games. It was the famous uh, Pat Maroon, sorry, Fat Maroon goal where <laughs> I forget who shoots it. I think it's Rope Hints, maybe somebody like that shoots it. Um, it hits like the crossbar or the post or sorry, Robert Thomas, because yep. the stars didn't score. Duh. So Robert Thomas shoots it. Um, the puck hits the post. So it beat Ben Bishop. It goes behind him and Pat Maroon cleans oh. it up. I, I yeah. like I said, they I think they lost in seven in that series. 
Uh, and then Dallas won us. Okay, so right here they won four two against Nashville. I remember that now. So he was four and two in the first round, then three and four in the second. So he's seven and six. Mm-hmm. Seven and six. And then this series he went three and four. So he's ten, ten and, and ten. So five hundred. Uh, but let me just confirm that because I'm not too too positive. About On top that. of that, a lot of learning moments for that guy. Um, we don't have to go too in depth on it, but the decision to put Swayman in over Allmark, I think, oh. I, I think everybody pretty wholeheartedly agrees that was waited on a little too long. Uh, Florida beat you to the punch. They put Bobrovsky in. I thought that was a, I mean that obviously that was the game changer. That was the series changer for that. Hundred percent. It, it was, I forgot the comments that were made about it, um, but every time uh, Paul Maurice was asked about it, um, he's, I think his response was, you know, Lion, what is his name? Lion is the other guy? Yeah, Lion, yep. So Lion, you know, Lion did what he could. Lion got him to where they are. They wouldn't be there in that 3-1 situation without him if you go all the way back into the postseason. You know, now the pressure's on. Now the stakes are high. Let's give it to Bobrovsky. Let's, Bobrovsky is here for the pressure. And true to form, that guy that he, that guy took that month off. And, you know, it, it, it's sad when you, I hate it. I hate looking at the, the backup goalie. They always just look so like yeah. they're just a part of the, the training staff, you know, in the <laughs> games. But, you know, they don't they're again, goalies are weird. And and Bobrovsky was a wise. He's a veteran goalie. He didn't let it get to him. He didn't get cold. Um, and when the you know when the moment presented itself, he stepped up to that plate quite clearly. Um, as you know, back in twenty again, he knocked knocked the, that Tampa team you just mentioned off of the block in the first right. round back in twenty nineteen. He's doing it all over again. So mm-hmm. he, he's a President's Trophy killer and. Uh, there it is. I mean, that decision, I, it, it, it seemingly has come down to the two coaches' goaltending decisions and, and who, who made the right call at the right time and who made the right call at the wrong time. Exactly. What, one thing I wanted to get a little bit more further in depth with, with was two things. So one thing that came out of this series, I believe game five going into game six, if anyone remembers, uh, old Mark goes out to play the puck. Don't know why, uh, you know, Andy and I have always been against goalies trying to play the puck, but he does, uh, gives it right away to, to, I forget his name. Uh, and then the puck is given to, to Kachuk who scores forces Kachuk, a game yeah. six. It came out that he got injured in his desperation attempt to try and save the puck on Kachuk. On that play when he fell? Yes. Wow. We don't. I don't know what injury. Obviously, there's only two injuries in the NHL: upper body and lower upper body and injuries. <laughs> so I don't and, know what it was. Concussion protocol. Concussion protocol. <laughs> but that that falls under upper body. Good point. They'll they'll Good label point. it under upper body. But you know, so the rumor came out that during Game Six he was playing hurt. Okay. And they finally didn't make the decision until Game Seven to you know switch goalies and put Swayman in. My point was going to be in the previous podcast that we talked about the first round and the three keys to win, I had mentioned the use of timeouts, which was a very niche uh, key to success. The more broader sense is just good coaching. I know I had mentioned good coaching, but then I went in depth about the the timeouts. But 
this was like the most appropriate series to show good coaching versus bad coaching. As Andy <sighs> mentioned, Bobrovsky uh, Bob was put in as a way to just sort of, should, you know, do something different. They were down three, one in the series. They had nothing to lose. Putting him in couldn't hurt anything. It could it's only help. Reset. Yep. Exactly. It's a soft reset, short memory. Uh, and Montgomery had the chance to do it, but for whatever reason, he didn't. I don't know if maybe Olmar convinced him, like, no, I'm 100%. I'm good. Regardless, it leads yeah, to a it leads to a seven to five loss in Florida to then, you know, lose in the Garden four three in overtime. Swayman was a uh, justifiable and and, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I forget. Adequate. adequate. Yes, thank you. He was he's an adequate starter. I mean, him and him and Olmark were splitting games this series, you know. Yeah. And I know a lot of people 1A, are saying 1B. exactly. And you know, he he was he was good enough to to replace an Olmark. So, in my opinion, if Boston were to win that series, it would have come with Montgomery switching to Swayman for Game Six. Obviously, we'll never know, but. You got to if you're going to be a good coach, you have to make adaptations and you have to adjust to your team's play yeah. and your opponent's play. And we'll get into another coach who did that, uh, who has then moved on to the second round. But this was this was probably the most miscoached uh, opportunity for Montgomery. But as we mentioned, he doesn't have much of a playoff uh, record, so he's not necessarily prone or skilled yet enough to have the experience to make those decisions. So it is what it is for this Boston team. The problem was, you know, I don't know if they're going to come back with Bergeron. I don't know if you saw the clip, but him after game seven, he was giving everybody, you know, a a hug after the game. And it it looks like he's going to retire. And I got to be honest my biggest question is who becomes the captain in Boston? Is it Marshan? Who's going to, who's going to fill Bergeron's shoes. You want to talk about big shoes to fill in that Boston organization. I know that Marshan can somewhat fill those shoes, but you got to find a young guy who's going to replace his shoes. So that way you have a whole, you know, decade or you have a whole nother generation to to fill. You can't just, it's kind of like how Chara passed the torch to Bergeron, and now Bergeron's going to have to pass that torch just, you know, in a matter of four years or so. It's becoming a bit of a problem with with Boston and the fact that who's going to who's going to become the face of the Boston Bruins? And, and I mean, and we that's, got plenty of options though too. You Pasta, yes. McAvoy, and DeBrusque right off the rip. Right. Um, the only thing is. Bergeron is just such a unique player that oh well if you're going to put it on that level I don't think you're going to be able to replace him I mean he's a generational player he's a generational leader and a generational captain Mm -hmm. so you're not going to you're not going to be able to turn around and replace that immediately you know to to get up to that specific level it's not going to get you're not going to get it right away but I do think you have viable options. It's not like you're in a, you know, take take Chris Kreider out of the mix and go into New York and tell me who should be the captain. Because, and don't tell me Truba should be the captain. Don't. 
you know, it's so there's there's options there that you that someone can take it on someone, especially DeBrusque, dude, because that's what I was thinking. And the Bruins made a pretty big gesture of, you know, symbiotic relationship there in the sense that DeBrusque didn't, you know, really hammer for a trade. And um, I think Boston ended up paying him, didn't they? So. And even if they didn't, they, they, they have an opportunity when his contract comes up. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they extended we'll him. I believe they extended him for two years. Uh, and he had requested a trade as well. But most of that, and a lot of people are saying that most of that was because of coaching. You know, I, I think Cassidy kind of right didn't see the potential in, in DeBrusque. So he wasn't playing him with the right people. But Montgomery did. And that makes much sense, especially given his results this season. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So, I mean, to wrap up this series, we'll obviously talk about uh, Florida as they've moved down a little bit more. But that's just and, talking and about Boston. One. Yeah, go quick for it. Shout out for our graphics guy, Billy. Yes. <laughs> Your team plays on. <laughs> yes. So he, he <laughs> I had actually reached out to him and I said, man, congrats on the Florida Panthers. And he said it was less right. stressful. You know, he said it was less stressful and yeah, no, no expectations for them nope. this year. You know? No. And, and you got to remember last season, this was a team that was the president's trophy winners. The pressure was yep. on them, you know, and, yep. and now he didn't have to deal with that. I mean, hell, it was the exact opposite. They scraped into the playoffs. So we'll get more into, to the Florida Panthers in, in a little later on, but we'll move on to the Toronto and, and Tampa series. And lo and behold, man, if your stars show up and play, you're going to win a series. Mm-hmm. And Matthews has shown up. Marner has shown up. Tavares with the with the game-winning goal to send them to the second round. Your captain has Bunting. dialed it in. Buntel has dialed <clears throat> it And again, we mentioned on that first podcast, I I like Bunting. I think he, he is a young guy. I think he's, he's relatively older. Uh, he's, I think, 26, maybe 27. Um, but he's he's a great player. He knows exactly what his game is. He just lets people get under his skin. And that's what right. happened in, in that game. Chernak must have just said something to him, hit him a couple of times, whatever got under his skin. He ended up scoring, I believe, in that in the first game against the Panthers. And he seemed so level-headed, so calm. And it was good to see. When he didn't make the lineup in game five, I think, because he committed the uh, hit that suspended him in game one for three games. So, yeah, Sheldon uh, Keefe did not put him in the lineup for game five. And his quote was like, um, you know, we'll, we'll put him in the lineup, just not now. Something like along those lines. And mm-hmm. what happened in game five was Florida or sorry, Tampa just outmuscled them. Tampa just pushed them and, and they they made Toronto just. You know, their, their, their biggest weakness is their defense. And I feel like in that game, Tampa exposed their their defensive woes that they still have, that they're still trying to work on. But they also just weren't physical enough, you know. And Bunting is a great player to go in a quarter or go in a puck battle and come up with the puck, you know, because he's physical and he can play that game when yeah. he's under control. But nonetheless... It's great to see the Toronto Maple Leafs move on. Loki, I would have loved to see the the meme continue just for the sake of it. But 
I'm really two happy full decades. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. To, to move it to two full decades. But as everybody knows on the podcast, I'm a big American fan. So to see Matthews finally move on and have a yeah. chance at, at the cup, I am happy for, you know, like I said, I, I definitely would have preferred to have them lose just to see the memes, but you know what? It, it's kind of killing two birds with one stone. I get to see Matthews continue his postseason run that he's had and uh, you know, Tampa's out. So the four Pete or not the four Pete, but the four appearance in a row is, is done. We're yeah. is gone. Yep. One thing I would like to really mention is this is back to back years that Vasilevsky has not looked human, but has looked mediocre and subpar. I don't know what's going on with him. Last season, I think when we broke down uh, the series between the Lightning and the Leafs, he posted an 896 save percentage that matched Jack Campbell's 896 save percentage. This round, I'll look it up real quickly, but he was last place for active goalies who played three or more games in the play, uh, the playoffs with the mm-hmm. worst um, save percentage. So if you want to talk about anything, and you can. I'll just quickly look up his, his uh, stats for save percentage. Uh, for Toronto, Tampa. Um, yeah. What did I want to say about this series? I, it was, I think it was, no, it wasn't tough to watch the series. These guys were playing on our off days. Mm -hmm. Um, but watching, watching Toronto take care of this series. I don't necessarily know if Tampa's fatigue playoff fatigue i mean yeah. it ha- i guess it has to be because this is their fourth season of of a playoff run to your point they've not just been in the playoffs they've been in the finals the last three years that's i mean if you collectively add that record up that might even be more than an 82 game season um and they'd have to go to seven games pretty regularly. But but at the very least, it, it is a full extra season across three years of time. I mean, it's not just a regular season. Like I said, it's a gritty, it's a grinding, it's a re- resilient type of uh, season to play. And um, so, I don't, again, I don't know if it was Tampa's fatigue showing up, um, but Toronto in that series to me, it was kind of quiet, I felt. It, the games that, like, when they were holding on to leads, it, it didn't feel like an extreme lean one way or the other to me. I never really felt like, oh, Toronto was laying on the gas with the lead. I never really thought that they were laying on the brakes. I just sort of felt like they were remaining in the moment, trying to take care of business and not be too flashy about it. And... That, you know, might be an, a, a testament to signs of them being less like, you know, that comment that I made for the last um, podcast, which is a collect a team of collected individuals with really high talent. Um, it seems to me more like, you know, Sheldon Keith probably kept them focused, probably kept them in that team mentality. Um you know, a mistake from this guy is not a reflection on that guy. It's a reflection on the team kind of mentality. Yeah. And similarly, um, you know, this guy going above and beyond, it's not just that guy going above and beyond. He's going above and beyond for the team. So it it, it, it might have, you know, to me, I, I think I really, after that first uh, cast that we recorded, I, I felt like 
Toronto was just more mentally there as a team than they have been in the past, especially when it starts going bad for them. When things started going bad for them in the past, you really see that individualism, I think, come out from them. Um, but not so much this go around. Um, again, uh, I, I'll point to my bracket in for the theater, man. I really felt like this was going to be the year that Toronto did it. They surely did. Um, I hope everything keeps going to according to plan because, uh, you know, I do have Carolina winning the cup and um, a lot of things about it are, are actually falling in line. And the Toronto series was a major, major key uh, to that script that I sort of wrote. Um, and I'll sort of touch upon the others as we walk through, but that's all I've got. Um, I think their goalies were playing pretty well too. I think they were holding it down. I can't, I can't really think of anything to say bad about the goaltending from Toronto. I think most of those games were kept pretty close. And similarly to Edmonton, if your goalie can keep a game, if your goalie can keep can limit your opponent in the net, and you have as much artillery as an Edmonton team sort of does, you're bound to win that type that that kind of game. You're just bound to. Yeah, I'll I'll say this. I'm just quickly looking at their points. I mentioned Austin Austin Matthews. He's five for five with ten points, so pretty even split between goals and assists. You like to see that out of a playmaker like him, especially mm-hmm. at his skill level. Um, I think a lot of people see Matthews as a goal scorer, not necessarily a playmaker. So the five assists is huge. Marner has 11, so he leads the team in points. It, it, it's just an all-around effort from these guys. He also leads – Marner's the playmaker. He, he leads the team in assists with nine, so he only has two goals. But it's good to have a Marner on your team so he can set up guys like Matthews, guys like Tavares. Uh, also, I'd like to mention that Ryan O'Reilly's got eight points with the team. Yeah, they're they're really wow, picking yeah. up. Riley has been uh, Ryan O'Reilly has been awesome this postseason. Absolutely we talked awesome. I I mentioned Kachuk being a uh, Conn Smythe winner. Yep. This guy, throw him man, in there. He he might be a two time Conn Smythe winner if they can at least make the cup. They're not too generous with Conn Smythe winners who who can at least make it to the conference finals or the, the cup. Finals, yeah. Um, but it, it it's just. It's you're finally seeing the fullest potential of this roster. Good and point. I want to mention that because I feel like in the previous years, everyone was saying Matthews doesn't show up. Look at his p- career postseason stats. Marner's, um, Marner, Marner's a liability. I mean, everybody was frying Marner in game six, 2021 first round. It's late in the game. I believe they're up four, three uh, and Montreal's an empty net goal. And he, he caused that delay a game penalty where uh, Montreal yes. just ties it and then it goes to overtime and KK uh, Yasperi Kakaniemi, he scores that overtime winner. That was a game that, that forced game seven and it was through his error. So, you know, a lot of people were harping on Marner and, and you're now you're finally seeing these guys just playing at their fullest potential. I hate to say it, but I think with all these losses, especially to Montreal, it helped them in the sense to persevere through this the the hard uh, the hard times and the times where they just kept getting bounced in the first round. You know, you kind of have to experience something so you can understand how to better adapt to it. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what Toronto did. 
And I think being down or sorry, being up three, one, and then losing in 2021 sort of helped them to be in a position where they were up three, one, they dropped game five. So yeah, it was three, two, but then they just won game six in overtime, bounce right back. Bounce right back. Yeah. You know, they, they didn't fall on their old habits of that individualism that you, you mentioned, Andy. I think they just continue to play as a team. Sheldon Keefe has done a great job. I, I really like him as a coach. Uh, he, he says a lot of good things at the press conference. And for being a young guy, he, he's really coming into his own. It's, again, it's unfortunate that he's had the, the playoff record that he has as a coach, but I don't think it necessarily reflects his, his mm-hmm. abilities. I mentioned that we're seeing a new wave of coaches where they're a lot younger. They're not the old heads like Ken Hitchcock, uh, Barry Trotz, you know, et cetera. And I think that players currently, like these upcoming stars and these young superstars like Matthews and, and, and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, like they benefit from a coach who's younger. Maybe not younger than them, but just younger in the sense that they're not, you know, 62 years older in their 70s because they can relate more to the players. And this and is why. be more flexible with them, too. Exactly. And I think that that's what you're seeing with Sheldon Keefe with this Maple Leafs team. Um, you know, he he's very hard on on the, the players. Um, I mentioned that he's a players coach. He's not afraid to in a press conference say, hey, you know, this this player didn't have a great performance tonight and we're looking to rebound from it. He's not afraid to say those things, call out his players. And I think one distinction in this was popping up throughout my feed and the context was Paul Maurice's explosion on, on the bench when they did play the Montreal Maple Leafs during the regular season was as a coach, you want to be able to make sure that you have, you pick a time, you pick the right time in the right place to have your explosion or, or be hard on your players and call them out with aggression not just in a press conference saying, yeah, he could have played better. It's one thing that I think Daryl Sutter can't do. I think one thing that Daryl Sutter uh, caused to make him lose his job in Calgary is he's a, he's a coach that, you know, anytime I feel like Calgary was playing bad, was going to blow up on his players in the locker room and people just don't respond well to that anymore. And it gets so old, it gets so old, you know, and players after a while are just like, man, I hate this guy. You know, every time we do something bad or we have a bad performance, we just know he's going to yell at us. I think Sheldon Keefe and all these young coaches that are coming into the league are doing a better job of when to have those moments. You know, you can't have them ever so often because the more often you have them, the less your players are going to respond. So maybe Sheldon Keefe at one point during this season had one of his moments and this team just rallied after that. You know, I can't think of anything off the top of my head like Paul Maurice with the Florida Panthers. And then after he did that, man, they've been playing hot. But you could tell this team is just playing with a different kind of swagger, man. This team is just playing with some they're, – they're playing with cause. And I don't know if you've seen any clips of like Toronto. I believe they call it Toronto Square or Maple Leaf Square, something like that. It's right outside their stadium. And when they won it at no T, oh. that that place was just blowing up, man. And it was oh, yeah. it was good to see. Yeah, yeah. I was a, I was I was kind of a, I I think I jumped off the couch. I was pretty excited. <laughs> um, you know, they, I, I had the, the series and the series length 
called right in that one. So, yeah. And again, I'm all Ryan knows it best. I'm all for the theater this off season. <laughs> and again, that was one of the very biggest pieces of the domino or the puzzle, rather. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'd like to also mention about the series was I I found Vasilevsky's uh, save percentage for this these playoffs and it was an 876. And there as I go. mentioned, you're gone. As, you're gone. Yeah. Yeah. No matter who you play for, you're out of the you're out of a series with that with that kind of a save percentage. And you know, again, it's not to harp on him, but it is to say, and I I think you bring it up really well. This le- uh, this Lightning team has made the playoffs. I think every year since 2019, and then they made it all the way to the Cup final three years in a row, from 2021 to 22. They're definitely fatigued. Everyone talks about a Stanley Cup hangover and all that. This team might be the the, the like best example of a, a hangover, but not necessarily a hangover. I would change the term to like just a, a Stanley Cup fatigue. It's like marathon fatigue. Yeah, really. exactly. You know, it it this team has made three years in a row uh, to the Cup final, and it, had they won in 2022, that would have been the first team to three peat since. Um, I want to say the Oilers or the Islanders. I believe it was the 82 Islanders, though. Because yeah, I think the there's early a, 80s were the Islanders. The late 80s were the Oilers. And that that late eight, uh, Oilers team won two in a row. Then I think they lost or they bounced and then won the next year. They so it wasn't three one in a two, row. lost one, then won two. Yeah. Okay. Um. But yeah, you know, th- this is just I think an example of a team that has just gone through so much fatigue. It's not to say any of these players were playing through injury, but gosh, those bodies haven't been able to rest fully since, since 2019 when they got bounced in the first round. Uh, and, they're, uh, and they're kind of older now too with Perry. Yeah. Stamkos. Stamkos Hedman. Um, Hedman's Hedman. Up there. Yeah. Hedman. Yep. Yeah. And you know what else about them, dude? Sergachev was not up to Sergachev levels from the, from the last few years either. No, no, I'll he wasn't. He, yeah. He's one of my favorite players on that team, and I'll, I'll call him out. Yeah, it, it showed. And another thing that I'd like to mention is I, I don't necessarily think I saw enough from their offense. Um, mm-hmm. I, I loved, I'd like to look up Braden Point's numbers, Stamkos numbers, but I just felt like they just weren't consistent enough as they had been in the past. And, you know, maybe that was another reason why they got bounced. But it, it is what it is. Like you said, they've they've gotten older. They they've been in 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 the playoffs with deep runs multiple years in a row. It, it's it's no surprise that they got bounced by the Leafs. We're happy for them, and and the Leafs are now moving on. And and hey, it, there's always a silver lining that this 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 Tampa team can now just rest. They can have a, an official off season. You know, they can rebound for next year. I mean, this team's still good. So long as they have Kucherov's uh, point, Stamkos, Hedman, Sergachev, Vasilevsky, you can't count that team out. So, you know, just get your rest, enjoy the offseason, and we'll go from there. But moving on to the to the now second round, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs matched up against the Florida Panthers. One thing I will say, and I'll address it here with, Leafs fans is their reaction to winning the first round has been exaggerated in the sense that <laughs> they have they have tried to pass the torch onto Boston. 
for being that new team that's that's you know disappointing especially after the series loss right can't get out of the first round or just constant playoff um, disappointments and i gotta tell leafs fans and i'm addressing all of you right now you gotta chill out you gotta chill out winning around is not winning a cup you know sure that boston team hasn't won since 2011 but they they made it in 2013 I believe, and then they made it yes. in 2019. So they've had cup appearances. Sure, they only came out with one, but you got to chill out with this. You know, we're passing the torch on to Boston. Until that, until we start seeing some more first round exits by Boston, we'll get behind you. But for now, I think you're just you're in the heat of the moment, and you hate Boston so much that you know you just want to pass the torch. And I get it, Leafs fans. I really do. And I can't wait to be in your position because I'm a Sabres fan. So I'm just waiting for uh, for us to finally become the new you. But now that I've addressed that, uh, this this Toronto-Florida series, I think it might be uh, an under-the-radar uh, series. I really like yeah. the way game one was. That flow was yeah. fantastic. You know, these are both teams that have speed, both teams that can play physical. Size. Size exactly. I mean, the and 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 goaltending too. It's fantastic. Um, you know, we're seeing a Russian versus a Russian in net, Bobrovsky versus Samsonov. It, it's just fantastic. And and like you said, it's for the theater. I, I really think that this series will be for the theater. Um, I have a Leafs fan. He's on the hockey team here at SUNY Cortland, and he 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 saw me today, and we talked about Game One, and he's like, "Man, this Florida team, dude, they are a team." They're and I, they're they are legit. This is not just a one and done team. Excuse me. This is not just a one and done team. This isn't a team that's just going to beat Boston and bounce. This is a team that wants hardware. You know, I mentioned and, it with Kachuk. And you know what's most scary? Bar- Barkov is kind of in- invisible right now. Hundred percent. I don't even think he you has know? a point. Like, imagine if he becomes visible how scary it'll be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. You know, who's also been somewhat uh, invisible was uh, Ekblad, you know, for uh-huh. a former number one overall pick. Uh-huh. He, he's just, he's not been great. And, you know, it, it's been talked about for a while. That... You, want, you want to know it's hilarious as well. <laughs> Gudis has stepped up. No. <laughs> so so you know what? Like it's okay that it's like and on top of that, Kachuk has stepped up. So they have the coverage, but yeah, imagine if both those people start start, you know, contributing. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. And the only point I was gonna make is as a former first overall pick, everybody had been saying, even leading up to these playoffs and even in the past, that he just wasn't that wasn't worth it. And I think people can acknowledge it as Panthers fans and just people of of you know, the NHL can say that he wasn't worth it, but it is what it is. And, and they got him and they're, they're, they've dealt with him. If they, if we could see more from Barkoff and him again, and you bring up a good point, uh, just imagine this team, just imagine them uh, at the level they'd be playing at with those two guys. Another thing I'd like to mention is I forgot where I heard this, but I think it was an ESPN broadcast, their defensive pairings, of uh you know i think gudis is with um uh, what's his name forsland or f- number 42 on the team i forget 
Uh, Ekblad, I believe, is with Montour, and yeah, I forget some of their other pairings as well. But the the way that Maurice structured their defense was so that way the offensive guys can play with a defensive guy if they want to move up and play and do so accordingly. Brendan Montour has come out of nowhere, absolutely nowhere. Uh, if anybody was following the NHL account, they posted um, Calder. No, sorry, not Calder. They posted Conn Smythe odds, and the leading the the league was Connor McDavid with plus 500, and then the next one was Leon Dreisaitl at plus 1,000. Montour didn't even make that list, and he has six goals in the last four games. And he was a big reason why Florida moved on to beat Boston. Yeah. And he had yeah, a he, he I, was a reason why they hung around in that series. Yeah. And uh, he had a goal, I believe, in game one against the Leafs. So he's just he's being a consistent goal scorer as a defenseman. But it's the way that Maurice set set up their structure for for their defense was. And this is nothing new. I mean, everybody knows about if you have a an, a star um, forward or a star defenseman, you're going to put him with a more defensively minded player. And and that's exactly what they did with Montour. And, and he's able to just freely do what he wants. I also heard that there was a, not a rumor, but there was a, a, a statement made that when earlier on in the season, Paul Maurice approached Montour and, and this is, you know, this is going back to like the beginning of the regular season. He just went up to Montour and said, just play your game. You know, you are wide open. You can do whatever you want on that ice. Just be who you are and play who you are. And I, and, and this is why I say Maurice is a great coach. I'll say it here because I don't think I mentioned it in the previous podcast. And I mentioned it in the group chat in between the podcasts. Paul Maurice wasn't the problem in Winnipeg where I originally thought he was. I've now come to realize that that locker room is probably the most toxic locker room in the NHL with the likes of Blake Wheeler and Shifley. They practically mm-hmm. ran line a out of Winnipeg and you can either deem it unfairly or fairly doesn't matter. He wasn't playing up to his standards, whatever, but the way they treated line a and the way they've treated some of the other players on that team, it's a toxic locker room to play with. And, you know, Paul Maurice as the coach can only do so much, to sort of balance out that locker room that, uh, you know, he, he must've just been at some point, like these guys aren't listening to me and they're not going to listen to me. So I'm just bouncing. Like I'm leaving. That That's how I fix this locker room is by taking myself out of the situation. And yeah. so since he's been with Florida, he's won them a president's trophy. Sure. They didn't have a great postseason record in that same year, but this year I think he's really come back and has absolutely just, been phenomenal with the team he's almost like a Don Granado with the Sabres where you know Kruger before he was fired just kind of wouldn't let players play you know Tage Thompson wasn't Tage Thompson Don Granado comes in and just like I said with Sheldon Keefe and Paul Maurice they all have the same qualities they just let their players play their game you know they don't mm-hmm. tell them hey you need it you need to be more defensive or hey you need to do this more you need to do that more they're just it's free range for these players and you're looking at the potential that they can play with when they're not restricted or when they can play their game. And and that's what I like about Paul Maurice and boy, oh boy, this is going to be a good series. If, if the coaches continue to coach the way they've been and the team just continues to play the way that they've 
both been playing. I agree. Um, I, I mean, honestly, I can't really say that I have much to add. I I do agree with you. I think uh, you know what? To tell you the truth, I think if Boston if Boston was able to close that series after five, um, which by the way I mentioned it in the group chat. According to the theater, Boston was supposed to close that series in five. So <laughs> it's actually the mere fact that they didn't win game five. They already lost the series at that point. But I'll digress. Um, I do think that like the Florida matchup now is even better than the Boston yes. matchup in terms of viewer, like the entertainment value. Um, I think very obviously if Boston was able to manage Florida and then have to face Toronto, I think they very clearly would have been um, overwhelmed by Toronto right out of the gate. And I don't think it would have been a very long or very entertaining series. Um, But here we are, uh, sort of a precursor as well. Florida, the two lowest seeded teams um, were able to manage uh, a game one win for round two. So, we're off to a great start here. Um, Florida now has home ice advantage. So strap in everybody, uh, hockey fans, and turn that series on every night. Um, I do think it's going to be very thrilling. And it very well might go seven games. And hopefully we see some triple OTs or something. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. When you go, the, the good news is, is when you go further into the playoffs, the more overtimes you see and the more, the deeper the overtimes get. However, Florida doesn't have home ice advantage in this series because they were the second wild card. So if they were to move, no, Foley I said on, they they do now because they won game one. Oh, I see what you mean. I got you because they split a road a series. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, but, but with that being said, we'll just continue the the flow and go into uh, Carolina versus New York. Um, no surprise New here. I, New York or Carolina versus. Oh, Carolina versus New York Islanders, maybe. Right, yeah, yeah. I should have, NYI is what I should have said, but um, you know, I don't. I really don't have much to say on uh, on this series, honestly. Um, I could defer to you, but the only comments I really have to say are, we we mentioned it on the podcast, we kind of previewed it really well to to the point where we don't really need to say much. You know, both these teams were very defensively sound. These yeah. games weren't high scoring; they were very close. Um, it's your typical typical New York Islanders series, low scoring, you yep. know, not a lot of action, a um, couple of overtimes for sure. But again, it's it it, it kind of just worked out the way that we all said it would. I think I had Carolina in five though. Uh, they ended up winning it in six, but no no surprise. Carolina comes out of this series. Um, again, they they're they're getting the goaltending that they they haven't been getting in Freddie Anderson. And I thought Ronta had a great series. Well, yeah, Ronta was really holding it down that series. Yeah. So, you know, I'll pass it on to you with this question, Ann, but do you know why Ronta got replaced? Like, did he get injured? I, I don't know. Or or just was Freddie ready to play? Do you know why they passed the torch to, to Freddie in the net? Yeah, Freddie came into the postseason. He was – I heard he was – I mean, it was like a minor injury of some kind. I can't remember what it was. But moreover, he was dealing with like a flu or something for like two or three weeks. 
And so Ron, that's why uh, Kochekov was on the bench for the first few games of the series. Um, I honestly think it was it was just a, to tell you the truth, it's it's really what Boston should have been doing because Rod deferred. You know, Anderson became available. Actually, I do. I think now that I'm talking about it, I do think I know exactly what happened. I think Anderson became available. And I think it was a internal discussion between Anderson, Rod, and um, the goalie coach, and possibly Ranta. Um, you know, it, it's it's a, they were at a point in the series where they could go to Anderson if they wanted to. They could go to Ranta if they wanted to. But again, because they're in a one A one B, and because Ranta was carrying the series up until that point. And we were pretty handily ahead of them. Um, and even when they weren't, even when they were losing games, and it came back to three-two, you know, Carolina did remain in control from a lot of those games. I mean, game two they didn't take any penalties. Um, so I, I think it was just a comfortability. They had the comfortability in going to Anderson. I imagine they put him on a short leash. Um, and and you know thankfully they didn't need to yank on that leash at all. So I, I think it was just a a good opportunity to go to Anderson, especially with the foresight to say you know we might be rolling into round two here. Um, so let's get Anderson uh, warmed up. Let's he needs to start facing some some vulcanized rubber because he he did miss a, a decent chunk of the uh, end of the regular season. So. <laughs> And it worked out. He got his first postseason playoff win with the Hurricanes. Um, and I got to tell you, if he keeps playing the way he does and knock on wood here, he has an opportunity. If Toronto passes on, he has an opportunity to shove Toronto down in the Eastern Conference Finals and get that 2004 monkey off his back. Those, those tragic three minutes. <laughs> The, um, what do you mean by 2004? He wasn't in the league by then. I, wasn't he the goalie for the the famous collapse? No, that was Reimer. Oh, oh, okay. I thought it was it him. was it was Reimer in 2013, I think. Okay, my bad. But um, he, he still does have demons, though. He was the goalie in net when they, I believe, when they lost that Montreal series, I think. It was either him or Campbell, but he he does have yeah, his playoff rules. Yeah, exactly. He came from the Leafs. He he has he has tasted that better defeat with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, back to the series though. Very, I think I uh, sort of nailed it really with the with the prediction for that series. It was a perfect kind of series for the Hurricanes to transition from the struggling end to the regular season. Now into the second round, I mean, very clearly, look at how well they did in game game one against New Jersey. Um, so that's all there. I think the only thing I do want to mention, um, it, it's, you know, the question we've always asked in Toronto is, do we break up the core? Should they break up the core? Well, let's go to New York now and let's ask this question. That's been, it's been the elephant in the room for the last five seasons. Um, are we going to start looking at offense? Are we going to start putting a uh, 
putting some attention toward offense? Or are we just going to stick with this defensive structure that constantly gets us into the playoffs, that if we face a team that's very offensive heavy in the playoffs, we tend to get through them. But if we match up with a team that ends up being a, a defensive core team, a la Carolina, New York Rangers, um, Vegas uh, has a very big defense. I, I looked at, they showed the height and weight of their defensemen yesterday, and they are big. They're a big defensive team. I, um, I would even say the Kraken. I know they got a few small guys. Kraken's Kraken. another good one. Yep, Kraken's another good one. You know, it, it, are you going to be comfortable facing those teams? And what happens is, is if they get a lead on those teams, it happened in game uh, six. They reside and they are very, they are so content to get a goal, get a lead. And no matter what point it is in the game, shift to all defense all day. They did that in game six and it worked for two periods, but you got to play a full 60 minutes in your own end. I mean, that is a very tall order, especially when you have a Carolina hurricane team that although they are beat up, um, they have a lot of offensive prowess still. You mentioned, you know, uh, production from your defense. Well, take a look at Brady Shea, uh, Pesci, um, Burns, too. Uh, a lot of people forget, but Burns was drafted as a right winger. Um, yes, yeah, I was actually. <laughs> so they, you know, that, that, that's that's really it is, um, you know, New York will win a cup. If they don't change anything, if they only face offensive heavy teams, Toronto's, uh, Edmonton's, those kind of teams. Um, But other than that, though, if you find yourself against Carolina, which you likely will, given the given the divisional favoring, um, you're not going to you're not going to get past these first two rounds. I I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Uh, and, and just to piggyback a little bit off of what you said about their offense, I, I just don't know what it is. I, I almost want to say that they are so defensively oriented that even their forwards are encouraged to play defense to the point where, I mean, 100% you, what it is, dude. It, it 100%. has 100%. Because has, all their forwards do when they have a lead is block shots in the defensive zone. And if they get possession, Get it out of the zone. If it's an icing, right, if it it's, they had like six icings in one period in one of our games, you know? Yeah. I mean, you also saw Bo, Bo Horvat before he got traded was on pace for 50 goals in Vancouver. Vancouver, mm-hmm. not a great team. Definitely uh, didn't reach expectations, but he was on pace for 50. And then when he came to the island, he had seven. And I think, yeah, boy, like 32 wow. games or so. Like, Talk about an indicator. Gosh. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. And I think you're right. It's it, it's the biggest indicator that even the forwards are, you know, told to adapt their games so that way they're they're also defensively sound, which is great. Like you said, when you're up against really offensively, um, you know, offensively core teams, but. When you run into another defensive juggernaut, it's okay. Who's the better defensive juggernaut? That's whoever's going to come out of the series. And lo and behold, we we saw this happen uh, with with this series, you know. And again, I, I said, and I kind of opened this series with, "There's nothing, there's nothing much to add here because these were just two defensively uh, oriented teams that were able 
that one was just able to hinder the other more, and hence the reason that's why they moved on, and it, and it ended up being Carolina. Kind of surprisingly, too, because Sorokin did have a good regular season, and Sorokin's always been a good goaltender. It's just, you know, not, nothing you can do when you're the Islanders and you just can't score. Um, but, you know, that we can segue this into the other New York team if you're done with uh, this series, and, and unless you have one more thing to add. No, All right. Good. All right, sweet. So we'll go right into to my favorite series in the East. New Jersey and New York, man. And listen, I got to tell all the New York Ranger fans. I address the Toronto fans. I want to address the Ranger fans here. Arrogance. Arrogance. It's your biggest weakness. It's not to say you don't know your team well enough, but it is to say when you go up 2 nothing in a series and you take that series back home, you need to win. You need to, at the very least, split that game 3-4 where you come back to New Jersey up 3-1. And now you're really putting you're really putting your foot on their throat. They did not do that. And not only did this team play horribly, I'm going to go off on a pretty big rant here. But number slay, one. Slay, queen, slay. <laughs> go off, King, go off. This yeah, we, we talked about coaching, and we had mentioned it with the adjustments Paul Maurice made, and even with Sheldon Keefe. Coach, good coaches that take their team far can make in-game adjustments. And after game two, this team just they, – they seemed to, to not understand that they needed to win two more in order to win the series. And that's exactly how their fans were acting. Um, I, I know that maybe some people don't know here, but I go to SUNY Cortland. I got a lot of friends who are from Long Island and in the New York City area who are, are Ranger fans. And they were up 2 nothing in that series. And boy, oh boy, I was hearing it from them. I was hearing, oh, you got to go back to Madison Square Garden, down 2 nothing. Good luck trying to win there. You got to do this. You got to do that. Good luck. Gallant made zero in-game adjustments. Game three, do you know what Lindy Ruff did? He made them defensively oriented. He clogged that neutral zone so badly that even on a power play where they're up a man, um, the Rangers struggled to gain zone entry, that they would dump the puck in on a power play, try to retrieve it, don't not retrieve it, and New Jersey just easily clears the puck. There was absolutely no in-game adjustment from Gallant. If you look at the first two games, their power play was clicking at a 40% um, success rate. That's obviously, you know, it's it's almost double what an average NHL power play is. So you could clearly tell that, okay, you know, yes, they, they scored five goals and 10 in total, and four of those goals came on the power play. If they couldn't click on, on the power play, this team was not going to score five on five. And that's exactly what Lindy Ruff did to this team. He said, you know what, guys, let's stop taking penalties and let's start playing a little bit better defensively. And lo and behold, they win three games in a row. Granted, they win game two, or sorry, they won game six, and they won it pretty convincingly. They had another good showing with a 5-2 win. But in game seven, it was right back to just, they they couldn't even enter the zone with their puck. They, they, they couldn't even, the passes were so bad. I'm going to say this, Ranger fans, you need to address the fact that Panarin is a liability. 
I have not seen him play so poorly. When he was with Columbus, man, he did really well. He was noticeable. That 2019 Columbus team, though they didn't go far, they got bounced in the second round in six games against a Boston team that eventually made the cup final. He was noticeable. Panarin was noticeable in this series for his giveaways, for his turnovers. He was not noticeable for being the playmaker he is. He was not even noticeable on the power play. You know, it was a funny little comment I'd always make to my friends. Whenever they were on the power player, they were making, they had an odd man rush. If I saw Panarin had the puck, I would say out loud, okay, good. Panarin has the puck here. I'm not, I'm not worried. And what would happen? He would either try to do too much, try to pass it through a, a player, try to, you know, try to do whatever, except play simple and shoot the puck. It, it was baffling to me how poorly he played. Um, a, another point I need to bring to Rangers fans is when are you going to officially say that Lafreniere is a bust? I was chirping my Ranger fans, all my friends who are Ranger fans. I was saying, you got to admit that he's a bust. No, he's a playoff performer. No, he didn't have a good regular season, but he's a real big playoff performer. Seven games, zero goals, zero assists, zero points. That's your playoff performer? That's your number one Give overall plus pick? Minus. Plus minus. Oh, man, I'll, I don't know off the top of my head. I'll, I'll look it up for you here. But overall, like, that that's your number one overall pick? And they kept saying, well, oh, they can't fit him on the first and second line because, you know, we have he, you know, we have Panarin, we have we have uh, Kreider, we have all these guys. It's like, why did you pick him first overall then if if your game plan was to, you know, attract guys like Panarin, attract guys like Kane, attract guys like Tarasenko, who were going to fill those holes on your second and first line? You know, it's 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 not mismanagement of, of player assets, but it's just like. Could you imagine if Connor McDavid got, you know, drafted first overall and was playing third line minutes with the Oilers? Like I try to tell these guys, I went all the way back. I don't know how, how long though. And I was comparing every first overall uh, player, every draft pick that was selected first overall and comparing them to Lafreniere's points. They had more points in his, in their first year, their rookie year than he's had in his, uh, I believe this would be his fourth or third year in the league. Like he's still not producing and he's, we're still not seeing the production we need out of him. Um, it, it was baffling me. And then, you know, because they know I was a Sabres fan, they're like, well, look what happened to, to Tage Thompson and look what's happening to Dylan cousins. Like it's taking them a while. I go, yeah, but Tage Thompson wasn't a first overall draft pick. Dylan cousins was, a, I believe a first overall pick. 13th overall, something like that, or first round pick first 13th overall. Like these guys don't have the expectation of being a, a, a number one overall draft pick and they're already playing better than him. And, and I'll, I'll just end it with, I had one friend who told me, well, look at how long Tage Thompson took to develop. You got to give Lafreniere time. If your team is, if your coach specifically is unwilling to give them those first line minutes to develop and maybe produce more, and they're just going to keep him on the third line and try to change his game to being that like third line grunt, you know, bottom six grunt guy mm-hmm. who's trying to be more physical. <laughs> Why do you expect him to develop like Tage Thompson? Tage Thompson sure developed on the third line with the Sabres, but the moment he showed signs of being a superstar, they bumped him up. They weren't 
they weren't, you know, holding him back. So I, I don't know. I, the, the Devils played and adjusted their game perfectly to the New York Rangers. And I saw a stat, I believe it was, and I'll, I will end on this. This rant's gone on long enough, but uh, <laughs> Truba Panarin, Tarasenko, I think. And, oh man, who else was it? I think Kane, maybe. Through games two through, so sorry, sorry. Uh, through games three through seven had a combined points of like two. They had two total points between all of those players combined. You didn't get the production you needed. Gallant didn't make any in-game adjustments. He got outcoached by Lindy Ruff. And, you know, that's that's all I got to say. It, it was it, – and, <laughs> and Igor Shesterkin, I will end on this. God's sakes, I, I might cut myself off here. Igor Shesterkin. <laughs> You are you are setting him up to be the new Hendrick Lundqvist, and I do not want to see that for the guy. Ranger fans, expe- Ooh, especially, love this take. I love this take. You are you are literally setting up him to be uh, King Lundqvist. And I saw this funny little quote that said, "The king with no crown." They called Lundqvist a king, but he never got the cup, so he can't be crowned. Is this going to be the new king without a crown in Igor Shesterkin? That's all I'll say. I'll leave it off with that. We, you know, if you have any thoughts and opinion, and feel free. <laughs> I do, I do. Mine is actually very, very speculative. Um, so don't like take any of this as facts and share it with your friends. I told, I so I gamed with um, Alex and Greg. Alex is my Rangers fan, and Greg is his older brother. Um, growing up, I actually knew Greg, and you know, now it's fun that we're older and we're all friends and we can, you know, game on Apex and stuff. But uh, the night before game six, I told both of them, I was like, I think I got it. I think I got it. You ready? So what I told them that night was, I think Kreider has really, like, I really think Kreider has has been dealing um, with a lot of like feeling a lot of disrespect, I believe, because I, I am so livid. I mean, I'm just livid and I'm not even a, a Rangers fan that he wasn't named um, the captain. And it wasn't just that he wasn't named it. It was given to Jacob Truba, which I, I just it baffles me. And so anyways, I think I'm really speculative that Kreider probably has been dealing with that mental blockage from that and that he's sort of stepped back as as a leader in the locker room um i think after game five though and i don't think truba is a very good leader in the locker room that's really what this all hinges on um because i i think that um after game five Kreider might have stepped up. I think Kreider might have stepped up, basically told Jacob Truba to, to, you know, take a seat more or less. And I think he probably led that group for game six because at least the scoreboard, that's what I felt. And and even the performance, I I finally felt that game six, they really looked more like the the Rangers that we've seen leading up until this point uh, in the playoffs. But I think for game seven, he he went right back to letting Truba, you know, be the guy, be that guy. 
um, and letting Truba do his thing. And quite clearly, I don't think Truba's very good at being a captain if, if he has been trying to lead those guys through that series. Um, so I really think it came down to a captaincy thing. Um, we'll see what happens this offseason if, if Kreider requests a trade. I don't know if when he's a free agent, but um, I, I can't. I don't see Kreider staying in New York for very long. Um, unless Truba ends up getting shipped out for whatever reason. Uh, and on top of that, I will say, um, to your point, <laughs> I called them the New York liabilities last night. I, I think uh, Kane, Kane was definitely the largest liability that came from that trade deadline. Uh, not fiasco, but, you know... Um, just the trade deadline scenario for, for right. New York. I mean, quite clearly on paper, they went all in. And at the end of the day, that paper was uh, liability heavy. I don't think an insurance broker really would have backed that trade deadline for them. No. Um, so, yeah, just those two points were really all I wanted to talk about for that series. I I like your your take there on Kane. I don't know if you're familiar with spitting chocolates too much, Ann, but they have a, a big devils fan called Pasha and Pasha's prediction before this series even started was Kane and Tarasenko were going to be the two li- biggest liabilities for this yeah. team. He, he was spot on. I thought Tarasenko was, was okay. You know, I don't think he was too, too bad. He had some big, he had a big game one and two opening up the scoring. I believe in both games, it, it, it was just their absence in this series. I would have to agree with you with Kreider even more so because I don't know if you saw his quote, but after game five, he had a quote where he basically said, we need to do better. Um, you know, this is not New York Rangers hockey. You know, this is not the way that we've been playing all season. And it was basically setting up the stage to almost tell the fans, like, you're going to see the real Rangers in game six. And we saw the real Rangers in game six. You know, it, it was night and day from the last three games we had seen them. You know, they looked so much better. They looked like they were going to turn that series around. And then, like you said, in game seven, they just they put up an egg. So I really think you're onto something with that range, that Kreider take. And, you know, looking on looking from the outside, looking in, can can you blame him? I mean, for no. God's sakes, Truba came, they they acquired him through Winnipeg. I I really just want to know what their thought process is for giving Truba the captaincy. Because I don't even... I looked at it last year when it happened. I, I spoke about this in depth because I was I was Kreider's number one advocate. I was talking Kreider for, for captaincy before, like two years before, the, before they even selected a captain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I know, I don't think they went that long without one, but... Um, yeah, I mean, that was one thing that I looked into immediately. And the only, the only thing that I, basically the only category that I gave Truba the advantage in was his age. He's like a year and a half, two years older or younger, excuse me, than, uh, Kreider. Kreider. But that's it, you know? Yeah. It starts and ends there. (laughs) Because just look at their stats. (laughs) Yeah, it, it 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 was frustrating to watch this series because I think as a Rangers fan, you had a higher expectations for this team given how they played last year. And again, outside of Tarasenko and Kane, it was 
like the same exact team. So adding those yeah. guys at the deadline almost even boosted your expectations even more because Tarasenko has that um, playoff experience winning a cup. Pedigree, we don't yeah. we don't even need to get into Kane. That guy has three right. cups. You know, that's, that's enough said right there. Yeah, showtime. <laughs> um, so there, there wasn't really much to be said about those two guys being added to the roster besides, okay, now your expectations are even higher. Right. And like you really go big or go home right now. Right. Like it's cup or bust. And, you know, I don't know what the situation is going to be with Tarasenko and Kane. I don't know if they resign with the Rangers. It's, it's, to me, it's, it's another disappointment in the East, not as big as the Bruins, obviously, because there was more pressure on them, but gosh, man, this was still a great series. Yeah. Still great. It wins seven games. That's the best you could hope for. But as a Ranger fan, you're definitely leaving and you're definitely saying, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Are are we really doing this to Igor? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 because he posted like a 935 save percentage. Like wow. that's more than enough to get you four wins in a, in, a, in a series, especially with the way he was playing. I mean, look at I think the most the Devils scored in this series was four and they did it twice. But by no means were all four of those goals on Igor. And, and yeah, to your point, I, I just have to agree with, with the Crowder take to go back to it again. Like, I heard rumors that he, like, management talked to him and he said he didn't want the captaincy. <sighs> but but here's the thing, and here's the thing. And I think you're going to really like this take. You know how sometimes when somebody asks you, like, do you want this? And you say, no, 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 I don't want it. Like, it's all yours. It, you're, it, and it is a bit of a... Male thing. Yeah, it is a bit of yeah. like, like not tomfoolery, but it is a bit of a, like a sense of you to see if, if they'll still give it to you, even though you say no. So, you know, let's say that one of my friends had a Snickers bar and they're like, Nick, do you oh, really want oh. it? And you're like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want the Snickers bar. But they give it to you anyway, and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm I'm glad that they knew that I wanted it, even though I told them that I didn't. It's really stupid. Like, I know that that's kind of like a bad explanation, but I almost feel like that's how well, the writer was taking this. Like when they, put it, when they put it in the sense that like a regular person can can understand. If if you say you're working at your job, and after three years, you know, you've been hauling ass in your job, you've been going above and beyond, you've been on point with all the meetings and you know you make your manager look good and all that stuff etc say a promotion within your group comes up and say your manager comes to you and says hey you know do you want this promotion and i know it's a little different because there's a there's sort of a two-way street when it comes to a promotion but the the approach statement from a, a that type of person and just switch it out with Kreider and the coach or Kreider in the front office instead of you and your boss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the state, the opening statement to that conversation, if you've really been out there and you've been going above and beyond and earning your keep and, and basically, you know, tr- like showing that you want this opportunity, I don't want you to come to me and say, Hey, um, do you want this promotion? It's like, oh, do you want more money? Duh, yeah. you know? So yeah. it's like what you want them to do is you want them to come to you and say, hey, here's this position. I want you for it. 
What do you think? That's that's more or less the tone that really should come out. They're taking the initiative is what it is. Correct. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I only use the Snickers because that was like the simplest form I could think of. But yeah, I mean, yours was a lot better. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that's exactly how it played out. And Cryer's just been playing with a lot less motivation and maybe a lot less pride because he's just he's not the captain. I don't even know if he has an A. I think he does, but he still, does. It's like, I'm pretty sure he does. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I mean, yeah, it's you just said something, and I literally just forgot what what thought that sparked for me. But um, the initiative. I said their initiative, and then uh, cried. Oh like, yeah, hey. like yeah, like I, you know, I, oh that's what it was. You know, you say they you, they should they you want to see them take the initiative, man. <laughs> The way that I was describing it on the podcast and in recordings past was just hand him the C already. Just freaking sew it to his jersey, you know? (laughs) Yeah, don't even tell him. Don't even tell him, exactly. Like, it's it's him, you know? It's almost like, say, like Bergeron. Another great, like, if if Marshawn got named the captain over Bergeron, I mean, that's a, a little different because Marshawn's a better player. But but say, you know, Jake DeBrus came in around the time that, you know, uh, Bergeron got, you know, it's the same, a similar thing. Like, it, it just goes to the guy. You don't need to ask him. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you for sure. It, it It's an unfortunate circumstance. And, you know, I, I do believe that Cryer's kind of not playing down. But he had, gosh, I think he had six goals in this series. So he showed he had the capability. Yep. And honestly, he, he big was, ones too. And what he had they? some big the ones. Signature move, Tippins. Yeah, one of the best. One of the best. Guys, the Tippin King, him and Pavelski, dude. I was just gonna say Pavelski, our boy, and we'll get to him. But <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it is it is what it is. Ranger fans, boy, Chris Drury's gonna have a, a hard time in the offseason figuring out what to do. We'll see what his moves are, but for for other circumstances, it's New Jersey and Canes, and boy, Game One was almost very reminiscent of what we saw in in the last series with the Devils. You know, it just they weren't ready to play; they just did not look good. Um, their their one goal they had, or one goal, their one shot one they shot. had <laughs> was a dump in that that you know landed right net. in front of yeah, it was on net. So it's. <laughs> Yeah, they're being very generous to not put a, a donut on there. I, I attribute it to, again, th- this team is still young. They don't have the playoff experience. For um, sure. We we saw what that what happened in, in the last series. You know, I think a lot of Ranger fans were like, this is the Devils team we're playing. Oh, my gosh, we're going to sweep them. On so, top of that, you're playing against a juggernaut playoff yeah. team that has been struggling the last few years with with showcasing that juggernauty. Right, and um, they have they have that playoff experience that you lack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, we'll we'll see what happens in game two. I'm looking for the Devils to rebound. I just wanted to attribute it to that the fact that the Devils only had a day, like a full day off, and then they played the series compared to the uh, Hurricanes, who I believe had only f- had five days off or so. You know, so they were well rested and they were ready to play. I know a lot of people say rest is rust, but when you play for Rod Brendamore, you know, motion is lotion. So I bet you <laughs> they didn't. 
I bet you they did not have a lot of days off. I bet you he was he was getting them on the ice. Uh, you know, no, 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 um, no practice. There really? was no practice. The... Yeah, actually, wow. they interviewed Jarvis last night, and uh, he was he, he admitted that he was just binging Netflix mostly, um, and watching the Devils. Obviously, okay. uh, the comment the comment there is practice at this point in the season doesn't it's meaningless. It's more, I think it's more discussional right now. It's more, much more discussional. Like, here's your sheet. Here's your list of what you did well last game. Here's your list of what you need to, you know, focus on for the next game. Let's get out there and let's take care of business kind of thing. Okay. Um, at least for this last uh, interchange, uh, the, from round one to round two, that was, and I'm, I'm, I can, can, can confirm because they shared a lot of that yesterday. Um, okay. They did have all the time off um, to rest up. Okay. Well, I stand corrected then. But um, it is to say that Rod Brendamore definitely, you know, they, he's been at the helm for five years now. Five. Yep. So he, he knows how to coach these players, how to coach this team. Um, I know that his he when he went on the Spit and Chicklets podcast, he had a lot of um, – uh, appreciation for his coaching staff, both his assistants and his, his uh, goalie coach as well. So mm-hmm. he's got a good group of play, of people around him that can feed off of him, but also help yep. him. In, in, and oh my gosh, what's the term I'm looking for? Um, starts with an A, not advise, advise, advise him. So I, I believe that, you know, they're right where they want. The Canes are, are a very tough team to play in, in Carolina. I know that I believe the Islanders did win a game in, in Carolina, but still uh, it's a tough pace, tough, tough place to play. Uh, and I got a bold prediction for you. And I think you're going to like this. Oh, the team that wears red or black is going to win this series. Home team all the way. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. I, I, and I'll, I'll do you one better. I think it's either going to be a, a full sweep or it's going to be what you just said. Either New Jersey is going to show up when they're at home and they're going to hang in there and ultimately Carolina will close the door when they're at home. Or I do think that that Carolina is just going to smother New Jersey so much that they don't ever let them find their game. And and it's going to it might end up being a quick 4-0 series. How about that for another take? Well, I double down on that. Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely possible. I, with the way they played in the first, they only had one shot in the period. And like I said, it was a dump in, uh, you know, I was chirping Andy. I was being a troll of trolls and <laughs> I, I was right in the sense that I, I had a prediction. Cause Andy was like, you know, he, he's not the first team. Obviously they're beating up on the devils whom I was cheering for. And, you know, I told him, I said, watch this devils are going to get two goals on five shots in the second period. I think they posted, I think they posted one goal on seven shots or something like that. No, no, no. I I think it was one on two. Oh, well, yes, to start off, but I meant like total. Mm. Like they would only have five shots on goal for that whole period and have two goals. But I was on pace, you know, I was on pace and then they they just couldn't do it. I. I am not going to lie. You sent that they scored. And then I was sweating every shot until number five. And that was when I texted Anderson to 800. <laughs> oh, that was, yes, yeah, that makes sense. Another good point I want to bring up because I love seeing it. It's been a while since I've seen them do it to this level, but the blocked shots were 
it was really what New Jersey was doing to the Rangers. It was what the Kraken were doing to the Colorado Avalanche. Um, it was very reminiscent of that first playoff trip that they made with Rod Brendamore at the helm. I loved it. I loved in the first things that I loved from the first round, the playoff or the power play got going. We mm-hmm. always struggled in the power play, both in the playoffs and in the regular season. Round two, I know it's only been one game, but the block shots are, I'm loving it. Why let your goalie make the save when you could let one of the five guys in front of them? Actually, I saw a meme the other day. It was a second person POV on a guy wearing a goalie mask and you could hear his thoughts. And he goes, if you can pull your goalie and add a player, why can't you add a player or pull your player and add a goalie? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and you know what? You kind of can put those five guys in front of the shooting lanes and let them lay it out for your goalie. Um, Anderson only had to come up with, well, he he faced 17 saves and he, and he only came up with six. He only needed to come up with 16. I mean, it doesn't really matter if you have a crappy, Per save percentage if a team only takes 10 shots in the first 20 minutes or right, one shot right. in the first 20 minutes 10 shots in the first 40 it, it doesn't really matter that you have an 800 save percentage across 10 shots that's only two goals yeah yeah the uh the other thing i was going to say is and it kind of goes along with the block shots i think you're seeing that both these teams will have a high block shot count especially carolina because both these teams are really good at penalty killing um, but very similarly, they, they didn't have the greatest um, power plays. But, you know, I the difference maker in this series is going to be whose power play is going to click more. Because, I mean, I said my second key to success in the last episode is you got to be good at both the power play and the penalty kill. And so far, the Devils don't have that half of the power play. They have it on the penalty kill, but not so much on the power play. And, uh, and and they're up against a team in Carolina who can kill penalties. They've been known for that even before uh, Brendan Moore was a was their coach. He's only just even added to that resume. But yeah, it, it's just going to be who's going to be clicking on the power play. And it, it, you know if that's the case, then that team's going to be victorious because these teams are just. I mean, I understand they had a bad game, and you know I don't know how many goals they scored five on five, but they're they're two very good five on five teams. And a majority of their goals come from the five-on-five five play, especially the Devils. That that power play against the Rangers, man. I don't know how the Rangers didn't come out of that series. Like, they, their power play was so bad. Um, and you know, the, the like I said, the Devils were finally able to adjust to the to the potent power play that the Rangers had, and you know, looked for that to continue in this series, but. Can they can they get better on the power play? If this team could score in the power play, you know you have guys like Meyer who don't have a goal, and he was a big trade line uh, trade deadline acquisition. Uh, uh, Palat, who has been scoring recently, but again, you'd like to see a lot more out of him, especially with the previous playoff experience he's had. Uh, other guys like um, Jesper Brat, he's been noticeable because he's very speedy, but man, he just he's not able to find the net. He had an empty net goal in Game Seven, but you know, he, he needs more, you know, he's, he's got to be more consistent. And then there was one more player. I believe it was Dawson Mercer, who again is, is one of their top forwards who just needs to start scoring more. Um, if, if these guys can get going and if they can also get going on, on the power play, 
you know, that this won't end in, in four games that it likely could end the way that the game one went. Well, so well, we'll I'll see. This. I think Carolina has only let in one power play or one penalty kill goal this season. I'm pretty sure they are like 18 for 19 on the penalty kill or something like that. Okay. Um, gotcha. And that game one, dude, they were just, it was, you it, know, it, it was absolute commandment of, of the sport in that first game for Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. And they're getting scoring depth from, you know, from the D what's what's yeah. From the D, but what's the opposite from of this, you know, liners, What's the opposite of Miss Universe? You know, Mister Mister Ugly. That that's Seth Jarvis, man. That that guy's Mr. one of the Heinous. ugliest guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Mister Mister They're getting it from Seth Jarvis, and and it's good to yeah. see. You know, and I believe he's had three goals now uh, to total because uh, I believe he had two last night, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I know he had one. He had that nice little breakaway in the beginning yeah, of the game where he just absolutely burned the defender in speed. That was that one got me going. That one got him going. Actually, the celery was really <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, I think you might be right. I do think he might have had two goals that game. Uh, yeah, I believe I I saw an interview with him in the in the intermission and like the stats show that he had two, but. Um, we can move on to the West now, unless you have yeah, any yeah, else. Yeah, let's go. Nah, let's roll. All right. So Colorado, Seattle, you know, hey, if Boston didn't exist and they didn't blow it, this probably would have been the biggest upset in the playoffs. But unfortunately, uh, Florida had to take the sails out of Seattle's boat, quite literally, um, and steal their thunder because, boy, what an effort from the Seattle Kraken. They're a fun team to watch. Mm-hmm. It's a collection of yep. – I'm not going to say mitzvahs because that was the storyline for the for the Vegas Golden Knights, but it's just it's just a a collection of like I don't know just all around players, almost like that, pond hockey. Yeah, like just vibes. Yeah, love that comparison. It's it's almost like you just invite your neighborhood friends and they all come and you're like, guys, we're a really solid team. Like we're a wagon right now when we play on the <laughs> pond. It's exactly how I see the. Seattle Kraken. Their their age distribution is pretty wild. You have guys as young as Beniers, who I think is only 21, 22, all the way up to guys who are Eberly, who are probably like mid to or low to mid uh, 30s. Their age distribution's wide. Their playoff experience is wide. Everything's wide because it's just a brand new team. But man, you wouldn't understand with their chemistry, with the way they play especially the way they played mm-hmm. Colorado. And yes, I understand that Colorado, mm-hmm. they were injured. You know, they, they, they were out with, they were without Gabriel Landis cog, the whole Nichuskin situation, which if you really read into it, it's, it's a, it's a bonkers story, but you know, they were without a couple of their star forwards, but their, their depth just wasn't there from last year. You know, they lost Kadri. They but, lost, um, but you still got Kale McCarr. You still have McKinnon. Yeah, McKinnon. Ron, 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 yeah. Miko Ronton. Oh my gosh. I, w- I hope I, I kind of wish we saw a live, uh, uh, watch party of Pierre Maguire. Cause oh my gosh, that guy would have been <laughs> freaking changing his pants every, every, like every game or every period with how Ranton was playing. But, no, it's it, it goes to show Seattle is just 
they're, they're for real and they're to be taken seriously, they're, just like Florida. And they're bringing this new concept. I, I really want to coin this phrase because I, I, I really think it's different from the more commonly used scoring depth. I, I don't think that they have scoring depth. What they have is scoring diversity. I yes. sort of touched upon it in the last episode, but scoring depth to me is um, you have guys who are capable on your lower lines to step up to the plate and pot some goals when your your top heavy guys are just struggling, either A, struggling, or B, not there anymore. Um, the, the, the concept I always mention uh, from the NBA is you're getting points from your bench, um, and, and that's just cushion to the, to the leads. But what Seattle is doing is it's not that people, you know, the superstars are struck. Because to tell you the truth, does this team really have a superstar? I can't really pick one, in my opinion. They um, do not. And so for the, actually, you know who's going to be the superstar of anybody? It's going to be Philip Grubauer. But I'll tell you why it's not going to be Philip Grubauer. It's because he has a cold glove this season in the postseason. He's the goalie that um, I mentioned before we started talking who's struggling on glove side. I think the stat, don't quote me, I do think, this, but it's close. I know it's close. The stat was either 11, 12, or 13. I think it's 13 out of 18 goals he's let in this postseason are on the glove side. Um, so we've got a, a good old-fashioned Crawford 2.0 going on in Seattle. But again... <laughs> The block shots that they're that they're taking for their goalie are helping them out in that school, that scoring diversity where I'll finish the point. It's not that people it's not that the superstars are struggling or they're injured and they're, um, you know, you're not getting that scoring from them. So you need a lower guy to step up. It's not that situation at all. It's this guy could score tonight. That guy could score tonight. He might score tonight. He just potted one. He potted one. And nobody really gets multi goal games. It's just sort of a collection of random, a random collection of guys who end up potting one for the night. And and I think that really contributes. There you go. That's contributing to why they're such a fun team to watch is because they're blocking all those shots on the defensive end. They're playing another point that I mentioned earlier. They're playing that relentless hockey where they are on guys the moment they touch the puck if they don't have possession. Um. And so those three things culminating into one are really, really the reason, I think, why this team is so fun to watch. Um, okay. On top of that, they have some fire uniforms. How do you not enjoy watching? Oh, my God. You know, what's, <laughs> you know what's so funny? My, my reason why I was going to watch them, why I enjoy watching them, is because of their uniforms. Like, they're just yep. so appealing that you don't want to yep. watch another game. Um, you mentioned a really good point that I actually want to bring up in a future series when we get to it. But the reason why Seattle is so fun to watch is because on a nightly basis, guys like Beneers can score guys like uh, Bjorkstrand can score uh, Vince Dunn could score, um, you know, and, and those top players on their team, even though they're not superstars, they're certainly top players because they, they produce, you never know who's going to score. You know, it, it's just fantastic to watch. And, Man, it's, it's it's so much fun to watch a team that can score at any given moment, and it could be anybody. Yanni Gord's another exactly. Name, you know, um, yeah, I love yeah. Yanni Gord. Yanni Gordon, and he was like, I, I know that Yanni Gord um, 
probably got a bad rep because he was somewhat physical on t- on Tampa and he kind of played that dirty. He was game. a little bit of that rat personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was their rat. But man, since he went to Seattle, he's kind of changed his his game and he's been more offensive and man, he's fun to watch. Like, and and what's also fun to watch is just to know who, like, what team they played for. How do I put it? It's like, it's just fun to know, like, oh, that guy came from Calgary. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, this guy was their Buffalo pick. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and it was fun in this one because. That happened to me uh, yesterday because Oleksiak, I saw, was was on yes. their defense. And I remember I picked Oleksiak from Dallas when we oh did our, God. like, mock, our mock draft. Dude, you, that is so funny, dude, because I literally pulled up our, I literally pulled that up trying to look for um it's a little off topic here but i'm applying to online mba programs and i okay. decided to open up an excel program and i saw i just see this thing called nick seattle kraken and i clicked on it and it was our mock uh our mock draft and i'm like oh my gosh some of these guys are actually on the team yeah yeah uh, Name like, some. uh so i have Jonas donskoy um but he's currently injured so uh, they they didn't he, he is with the team but he's he's just not playing with them currently uh, I have Jamie Alexiak here from the Dallas Stars so I got that right um, let me see if there's anybody else uh, that looks like it's about it oh Vince Dunn yeah, I got Vince Dunn I got yeah. Vince Dunn I did select Andre Pilat for the for the Lightning but I think their pick in Gord was a lot better you know. I also actually, funny enough, I picked Vitek Vanacek for the Capitals, but they didn't take him. Um, and obviously when a team has done this and has been in a situation where they uh, pick team from every, uh, pick a team from, or pick a player from every team, it's funny to watch the team that they ended up picking from and selecting a player that's playing against them. And that happened to be Grubauer, who just played fantastically. Uh, you know, and it, it was good to see that he got revenge on his old team for giving him up. Uh, you know, he, he's still a little bit shaky as a goaltender, I will admit, but he's definitely sort of fit in with this Kraken culture where it's like no pressure play, no mistakes are made. You know, it, it's it's that free-flowing game that so many players, no matter who you are, just they flourish in. You know, it's all players don't want some nagging coach or some nagging, you know, staff mm-hmm. member. That's just like, you got to do this. You're not doing that enough. They're just like, Hey man, go out and play your game, you know? And, and Matty Beniers, I don't know if you saw, but he's one of the Calder finalists for rookie of the year. I think he's yep. going to win it. Um, I think that's I, a I wa- pick, yeah. Yeah. I want to see him win it. Uh, I, I wasn't too impressed with Owen power. He led all defensemen in points and assists, but not goals. Um, all you rookie know, defensemen or all defensemen? All rookie defensemen. So okay. that's why he's he's a Calder finalist. And I forgot the other guy. It's, it's blanking on me. But um, I think Beneers completely solos the, the Calder finalist and is selected as a rookie of the year. Yeah, he's he's going to ratio. Yeah, uh, dude, he is a fantastic uh, player. And I'll admit, guess what, fellas? He's a U.S. player, so you know he's got my full support. <laughs> <laughs> Raining out of Massachusetts, I forget where. I think it's maybe Spokane. I forget, but I'm all for him. Uh, but 
yeah, it, it's just a great group of guys playing at a, at a, a high level. They looked really good against Dallas the other game. I actually shut the game off, I think, when the second period started. So it was 4-2, and I woke up, and <laughs> it was a tie game going to overtime, and I was like, what the? So it was wild, but I, I'm thoroughly impressed with the Seattle team. They make it so easy to cheer for them. One thing I will say that I won't take credit for, my friend um, who's on the hockey team who just loves to follow hockey as well, he said what the Kraken are doing it has been a lot better than what Vegas has done in trying to get awareness to their team, trying to get likability throughout the league, uh, you know, Ron, led by Ron Francis, who's their GM. He had high praise for Ron Francis as a former GM of the Car- uh, Carolina Hurricanes. He said he never traded well, but he drafted really well. And some of the guys that have stepped really? it up for the Hurricanes were drafted originally by uh, Carolina, uh, Carolina, originally drafted by Ron Francis. So, There were some picks in that expansion draft that some people were like scratching their heads about, but two years later, boom, look at them in their second year. They're in the playoffs and they moved on to the first round, taking out the defending Stanley cup champions. And on top of that really quick, they also took another piece of Carolina. That was a phenomenal pickup. John Forsen. Yeah. 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 I think low key, uh, that was his pick in the expansion draft was stealing Forslin from you guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do, you, do you remember who they ended up picking from Carolina? I I could not think of it off the top of my head. No, I can't. I can't think of it either. I, I want to say it was like a taxi guy or like a low liner that we didn't have oh, for very long. Geeky, that's who it was. Oh, Morgan Geeky, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yep. Yes, that's right. Yep. Um, and then for the Sabres, I think it's Will... Borgen, who is getting play uh, playing time, but uh, I believe it's because one of their defensemen are out. But regardless, love what I'm seeing from from Seattle. You love to see it in the expansion team finding success early, uh, and they just seem to be getting spoiled with not having to deal with the sorrows that other um, you know teams had to deal with in their first couple of years. Other than that, though, we'll we'll quickly move on to a series that you know kind of similar to the Hurricanes. And Islanders series, there's just not much content to talk about. And that's just yeah. wild in Dallas. I, I, I really don't have anything else to add from what we said in the previous I got episode. Something. I got one thing to say. Okay. If there's any team that the Maple Leafs can dump that first round woes on, it's actually it's Minnesota, not Boston. 100%. Let's be real. You know? 100%. 100%. They have not made it past the first round since 2015. There you go. Uh, so, it, 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 and there's really not much to add here. I, I think in just the two games or the one game that we saw, it was two, because I remember having to talk about both blowouts. It, Minnesota just seemed to struggle with scoring. And, sure. you know, the, the whole Marcus Felino and goaltending. I mean, I thought Gustafson was pretty good, but, you know, it, it, it's it's tough to – look good when your team can't even score. So even though you can keep pucks out of your net or maybe have an off night and give up four, your offense can't compensate because it's just not good enough. Yeah. And the whole, and the whole Marcus Felino saga with the penalties, I don't know if you looked into that much. And um, I saw some clips. Yeah. Yeah. It, to me, it's like, it's their fans trying to make an excuse of, you know, look at how everyone's against us and, 
I'll, I'll mention it here, man. I, I'm getting so tired of the narrative narrative from every team. And I know it's easy to say, especially for somebody whose team never makes the playoffs, but <laughs> I'm, I'm just getting so tired of hearing refs versus our, my team refs versus blank refs versus this. Everybody zebras knows. Versus... What was that? I said zebras versus oh. us. Yeah. Zebras versus us. I'm getting so tired of this narrative because if you haven't realized by now, the last five years, the officiating right. in the first round is horrendous. This is the norm. Yeah. yeah. It's like, this is just what it's become. They call about 10 penalties a game and it can be swayed as much as like what feels as if one team got seven penalties, the other only got three. It, it, it's just that narrative is getting sold and I'm getting so tired of it because yeah, like I said, you got to be able to play five on five and Hey, you know, maybe you don't think that, that was a penalty, but you mentioned it in the in last podcast, specifically about the, the Islanders in, in Carolina series. When Scott Mayfield took the high stick, you said not only does the puck leave the zone, but um, uh, I forgot what else you had said. I think you said you want to make a you, you need to make a save there if you're Sorokin. And then your last point it's a was new play. things yeah, are going to even play out and you need to come up with a defensive stand. Yeah. And then your third point after you're saying all of that was the way it works out is it's going to even out. And that's exactly what's going to happen in, in all these series is, you know, maybe there's well, one game where a team gets called five times and another team doesn't get a power play at all. It's going to even out the next game. It'll well, even on itself top, out. On top of that, dude, just really quick with New York with the Islanders and with Minnesota, it's like, if that call, at least if at least for the Islanders, when I, I guess I don't really know if they were complaining about missed calls against Felino, but I know that excuse, excuse me, they were complaining about erroneous calls on him. Yes. Um, yep. But if it was if it was some of the like, oh, they missed this on Dallas, they missed that on this. Like Islanders fans did that for game two, but it's it's like here's the thing: if we gave you that penalty. Would you have done anything with it? Because they only scored once against us on the power play. Yeah. That's I mean, exactly the only thing it does saying. is it prolongs the overtime. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly what I was saying. You know, my, my point being, if you're not even a good power play team, why are you begging for a power play? It's not like it's going to make a difference. You know, I think when we when we mentioned the Islanders matchup against the Carolina Hurricanes, I said specifically, hey, Islanders fans, remember when you said that the Carolina Hurricanes got four uh, power plays and you got none? It's probably a good thing that you didn't get a power play because you were running at like a, it was really low. I want to say maybe 16%, 13%. They had a 7.13% power play percentage in your in that series against the, the Hurricanes. So yeah. it's like, do you really want to be on the power play? Cause it's not going to do much for you. So, and the same thing applies with the Minnesota wild. That's they, they, they couldn't do much against the Dallas stars team. And even if they were successful on the power play, Dallas has that capability of scoring at women, just being able to score in response. We saw it in game one against the Seattle Kraken and, and Dallas stars. And if you're okay with it, and I'll, I'll segue into that series now, you know, both these teams are capable to answer one another at a high rate. And and that was the most appealing thing that I, I saw in this game was, oh, man, 
you know, uh, the Kraken, I think, scored two goals in 58 seconds. And then next thing I know, uh, Dallas responded with a goal. And like I said, by the end of game, uh, by the end of the first period, you had seen a 4-2 score where, you know, goaltenders didn't look superb. Uh, Pavelski was a goal away from having a hat trick. And you're you're coming out with the <laughs> the 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 uh, average score to be, I mean, you're on pace for a 12 to six final, you know? So it, it is fun to watch both these teams. I think this stars Kraken series is going to be the best series out in the West. Um, I think I mentioned earlier that the better series in the East was going to be the, uh, I want to say it was Florida versus Toronto. And it's just because they have great abilities to score in quick responses. We saw with that Florida team, that Florida team is really good at responding. And I believe after Bunting's goal, which made it three, two boom, uh, Florida came right back and answered it to make it four, two or something like that. Um, so it, it's just been fantastic. Yeah. I, yeah. I was just going to sort of reiterate, you made a, huge point at the beginning there which is this is going to be a nice little series of you think you can score fast watch me and uh i think for that reason i i, I do think that you're right this will be a really entertaining series to come out of the west it already is i mean it's got two good goalies as well it's gonna it could it yes. could very well just as much as it's got that quick response type of tone I could very well see some games where Ottinger and Grubauer are just standing on each other's heads. Yeah. Um, and that would be exciting too. Yeah. It, it, it's, um, I, I was actually upset with myself because when I went to bed, when the second period started, I thought, well, you know, that's the game. Like, you know, they're up four two in the second period. Rookie move by me. If I knew anything, if I knew better, I should have known better. The games aren't done until that, that clock hits zero. And that ends up going overtime. I had mentioned to you the next morning I woke up just thinking, oh, I wonder how that Kraken game ended. You know, was it a 5-3 final by Seattle? Did it stay 4-2? Was it 5-2? No, it was 5-4 in overtime. And Pavelski had four goals. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that, I missed that game. I, I was kicking myself. I'm like, I should have stayed up for that. You know, the fact that these teams were able to – respond so quickly. I mean, that first period was so long because of all the stoppages and, you know, goals being scored. You're just like, I had thought it was the third period going into the start of the second. So that's why I went to bed because I thought it was the third period. But then I realized, wait a minute, like this game seemed like to take so long in the first period that I thought it was the second period. So I, I just completely lost my train of thought. Um, but yeah, this this series well, is going to be exciting. I uh, I 100% agree with that, dude. We every like 10 minutes of game time, I was saying to myself, "Wow, we're only here." Um, mm -hmm. Halfway through the first, I thought we were in the middle of the second. <laughs> halfway through the second, I thought we were nearing the end of the game. Um, Vanessa and I went into the bedroom uh, to watch the game the rest of the night, starting at the third period. Actually, I I don't even know if the second period was over. We might have gone in to watch in bed at like two or three minute mark in the with left in the second. 
And I didn't know that you, I didn't know how much of that game you missed. You did miss a really yeah. good game. I watched the whole thing. Um, I stayed up and I saw it over time. I saw the OT winner. That was, uh, that was nice. That was a really nice game. And, and part of the thing is because of how long the game time felt, the intermissions felt like nothing. <clears throat> Yeah, that is nice because one thing I will say, and I forgot to mention it with the ESPN um, intermission, but I'll quickly say here. It's been a common theme when I talk to my friends about getting into the sport and, you know, what you need to watch out for, um, you know, certain things that you might struggle with. And my biggest criticism of watching hockey is the intermissions. They are so long compared to other games, even the NBA, like halftime. Because uh, the playoffs are on, obviously, and I'm trying to get into NBA as well. There have times where, like, you know, they're quick. They're long. They're like 15 minutes, but they feel so quick because, you know, the guys are talking about what's happening in the game and what's happened in other um, series. So your your mind is constantly being, uh, like, stimuli. You know, there's always stimulus around to to focus on that it feels much quicker. In the NHL, they spend, like, 10 fucking minutes talking about the game and you're like i don't need this breakdown i i watch this game enough to be like yeah i know what's going on um i can see that you know so it just gets a bit annoying and i'm pretty sure the intermissions are 20 minutes i i just can't stand it because there's so little content in them there. yeah and, and like i said a lot of commercial um space oh, too like gosh. how many times do we have to watch pk suban and Joe Thornton look for a yeah, tooth. Yeah, with the tooth, I, I, yeah. Like, come on. Yeah, or that Amazon uh, video where it's like that uh, girl or whatever looking at, like, Freddie Mercury and then buying the um, yellow jacket. Oh, it's yeah, like, oh, my gosh. Like, that that one was on repeat for the whole first round. Amazon had to make <laughs> so much money off the NHL because the NHL is like, yeah, we got you every other commercial. Yep, yep, no, yeah, you got it, yep. yep. Oh, okay, Burger King? All right, Amazon. Uh, hardware, Amazon. <laughs> All right, and uh, the PK Subban, Amazon. You know, it was like holy shit. It, it was, it was played so much that I can remember so many times when, you know, that commercial would cut come on, and then it would get cut off, and it'd be like, "All right, we're back to the first period, or we're back yeah, in the third period yeah. here." That's how many times they played it. But uh, yeah, so that's always one thing that I tell people to w- look out for, and. I think that's what made me just stop watching the game was the fact that this this intermission took longer than it it almost felt like the game took, even though that even though I mentioned that it was a long period with how uh, how many stoppages there were, it was just like it just dragged on and you're like, when is the game gonna come back on? Because that's what I really want to watch. But you know it it is what it is. Um, I, I don't really have anything else to add in this series. Just. If you're going to keep your eyes peeled in any series, for those of the uh, for those of you who are listening, keep it on this series. The, these are two teams that are on the come up, and I know it's it might be a little bit early to say for the Seattle Kraken because, sure. as you mentioned, they have no superstar, and I completely agree with you. Um, you know, they they have guys like Jane Schwartz, they have guys like Matty Beniers. I think we we mentioned it in the last podcast they have they had 13 players with 10 plus goals. So they're getting scoring yes. by, by committee. Scoring diversity was yeah. coined. They're, they're getting here. everybody who's listening. Yeah. Credit us. They're, they're, MLA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And APA. 
seventh uh, edition though. And Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, keep your eyes peeled on this series. I think it's going to be the best one in the West. And uh, without further ado, we'll get into the Winnipeg Jets and Vegas series. <clears throat> Boy, I, I was wrong about this series, and I got to give it to you. I thought this was going to be a more entertaining yeah, series. And, and I'm pretty pissed about it because I took. <laughs> I took I channeled your emotions with this series and I picked Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This this was um this was such a bad series to watch. Uh you know, I like watching games in I believe it's the Bell Center for Mon- uh, not Montreal for Winnipeg. I believe that's what their stadium's called. Uh I because I love seeing the whiteout, I love seeing the crowd get into it. I believe it was game yeah. three. Game three where they scored three straight goals. Uh, to tie the game, and it looked like Vegas was going to blow yet another three-goal lead in the playoffs, but they ended up waving it in overtime. There just there just wasn't much in this series, and boy, oh boy, Winnipeg just didn't put up a fight. They got gentlemen swept, uh, and you know, there just wasn't much to add to it. Uh, they had lost players along the way. Um, guys like Morsi got injured, I think, game two or three, and they were already without What's his name? They're already without. Uh, oh, man, I'm drawing a blank, but they were already without one of their top players. Oh, Ehlers, one of my favorite Winnipeg Jets. They're already without Ehlers, Um, and then they lost Morrissey. And then I think Shifley went down with an injury. So they were missing yeah. like, a lot of their players. And you could just tell, like, even when they had all those players, minus uh, Ehlers, they, they just still weren't able to do much. Uh, it, it begs the question, you know, I, I think a lot of people point the finger at Toronto, but do you point the finger now at the Toronto or the Winnipeg Jets and say, change up that core? Um, I will jump in and say at this moment, and I would say, I think, yes, because going back to your comment about how the toxicity of some of the players in that locker room drove out a guy, a superstar like Line. Um, I, I sort of saw another example, maybe not quite of toxicity per se, but of some, some unusual, uh, comments, I guess, uh, from a player about, about the coach. And actually it it was Blake Wheeler. I, I saw Blake Wheeler's comments first about, the comments that Bones made, bonus, yeah. Um, bonus, yeah, made uh, during the post-game conference after Game Five, and he was saying like he, it looked like he was really, really um, impacted by those statements, and I was like, what the hell did Rick say about these guys? And I forgot to look it up, but a couple days later, the footage from that. A press conference surfaced and I was like oh my god here it is let me listen to this and I finished listening to it and I was like why did he take that so personally like uh, he, he was making a comment like he he, he would have rather the coach you know bring privately this, bring this discussion yeah to the players first and I'm like he didn't call anybody out by name mm-hmm. by position by number like he just sort of made general comments about how he was, I think, let down sort no of push by the back. group of guys. Pushback. Thank you. Yeah. No there was no pushback. Back. Yeah. It, it's actually one of my favorite. And he's players. not wrong. <laughs> you know, like you got rolled over. You're lucky you won a game, to tell you the truth. You're lucky it was a gentleman's sweep, to your point. 
um i just i i was a little i was let down to tell you the truth when i finally heard the comments i was like that is nothing to complain to the media about like what wheeler did there so i i i'm gonna jump on it and i'm gonna say shake that core up you got a good goalie don't touch that guy give him something that'll support him instead give him a different core that will put goals in the other net for you there's a I lot. Guess I'm really hitting a chord for you. <laughs> no, yes, I'm I'm getting excited because this this was a series I actually really wanted to talk about. So first of all, first and foremost, I love Rick Bonus. I I love him as a coach. I love what he did with the Dallas Stars in 2020. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't successful with them, so he lost his job. But man, I just I loved the enthusiasm, but also the sternness he had in that press conference. You know, he wasn't a John Tortorella who was, you know, throwing swear words out there and and specifically calling out players or saying, you know, you, you know, uh, when a reporter, I believe, asked him, like, what, you know, can you clarify what you mean by pushback? He didn't say, don't ask me, ask these guys, you know, so he, he wasn't like that. And he was very he had a Tortorella interview, but it was with a Rick style, Rick bonus style, which was perfect. He said the team had no pushback. He said Vegas played better in the regular season. He said they played, you know, their better players played better in this series, and that's why they won so quickly. He said that these problems have been around since January, February, when Winnipeg was first in the Central Division and then essentially lost it because the moment other teams started catching up with them, they kind of just sat back. Um, I, I just loved his comments, and he ended it very abruptly. But, you know, what more – do you really want from a coach who's just clearly furious with his team, especially with how they played Um, and getting back to Wheeler's response to bonus, he started going on a tangent about how he has a family and some of these other guys have families and there's other guys that don't have families. So like, we can't always see that. If you like, if you listen back to it again and, and try and listen closely for that part, it's almost like he's sort of hinting at the fact that his family's more important. Oh, than... I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, it te- they technically are. I mean, let's not no. let's not go that far. No, no, no. I, I'm just saying in the sense that like Wheeler's at that point where, and it's understandable in his career. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. So that like that's he's why sort of Wheeler... shifting. Okay. Exactly. And I feel like that was Blake Wheeler saying, well. This is why I personally didn't have a lot of pushback because I'm trying to well, focus you know on what? family. I was going to say, you know, you know, all what that sounds like to me, that's an excuse. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I get it that, that they mean a lot to you, but the like you're in the NHL playoffs. I mean, if, if those are yeah. your priorities, fine. But what are you doing in an NHL playoff series then? Yeah. Like, like if they really are that important, like step away from the game then, dude. Yeah, because it was only a five game series. <laughs> yeah. And and the one other comment I'll make about the Wheeler bonus reply was. The reason why I think Wheeler was a, took it a little personally is when bonus came in, he took the C away from Wheeler. So he took his leadership mm. role and it's maybe something that Maurice should have done a little bit sooner. But, you know, I'm not blaming Maurice. But it's maybe something that, you know, maybe he was a little bit too entitled to have that seat. So when he got it taken away, he he sort of wanted to get a little revenge back on bonus. 
And I'm not saying that That's he didn't point. show up. In, I'm not saying that he sh- didn't show up in the series to sort of spite bonus, but I think that that's where he was sort of coming from with his uh, perspective and with his responses to the media about bonus and how he handled that situation. And, you know, as a, as a, as a former captain, you know, the first thing you probably want to have, especially with a new coach is start developing a good relationship with that coach. Cause he's new. He doesn't know the team as well as you do, but you know, Rick bonus knew something that we didn't. And it was, Hey, Wheeler is just not a good leadership guy. And and him and Chifley just maybe aren't aren't the two to, to lead this team. And uh, you know, I gotta be honest, I think that you do Wheeler's gonna be hard to move because he makes I think eight and a quarter million dollars or like eight and eight. Wow. He makes over eight, just slightly over eight. He's gonna be hard to move. Um, you know, especially with his age and how much they're gonna retain. It, it's gonna be hard to move that guy's contract. Uh Wheeler, on the other hand, he's been pretty successful in his career. I think he's making boy gosh i think around the same maybe seven million or so so his contract will be a lot easier to move because he's younger than wheeler and he's produced more than wheeler but you certainly i think weigh your options if you're kevin shovel day off and the last thing i'll comment on and i'm glad you mentioned halibut i don't know if you heard his press conference but he specifically said in his press conference he uh wants to win a cup and he's he's running out of time I think was was his two quotes or oh. something along those lines. So I'll tell you this, and and I literally thought of this I think yesterday or two days ago. Let's just say in Carolina, this the goalie situation doesn't work <laughs> out, and I you know, know. <laughs> and Ranta and, and Anderson either come off the books. I think you pursue Halibuck. Give it to me. Yeah. If Burns stays, man. Oh. I Maybe like Carolina. I, <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'll ride that bandwagon. I'll I was gonna buy Hellebuck's jersey as a Winnipeg Jet, and then I heard his comment, and I'm like, okay, I'll hold off because, you know, who knows what <laughs> what what team he ends up with. But Love I definitely it. want to get a Hellebuck jersey, and now I'm sort of thinking like, shit, should it be with the Jets or? So yeah. that that's that that's that's something to look at as as a Love Jets it. fan and as an NHL fan. You know, when a goalie makes a comment like that. That's mm-hmm. concerning, especially with the the level he's played at. You know, he's he just came off of a Vesna winning season. He's oh, yeah. always played at a high level. Um, how he didn't get any more finalist uh, uh, nominees, I, I don't understand. Uh, with the way he plays, he he's number two in the league to Vassy. But with the way Vassy's been playing, and I know they were both first round exits, but you know, maybe maybe the tables are turning to. Hellebuck uh, becoming number one and, and and Vasilevsky going down to number two. We'll see that. I mean, it's kind of hard to argue because Vasilevsky has the hardware outside of a Vesna, but we'll see. Yeah, but it, it is concerning if you're a Jets fan to hear that from Connor Hellebuck, who without Connor Hellebuck, man, that team is bottom feeders. You know, that, that guy in for a number one draft pick. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. They would be in the Connor uh, Bedard. It'd be in a different Connor discussion. It'd be Connor Bedard, not Connor Allen. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, short series, nothing much to say about, about this. I think we kind of hit the key points of this series, talked a little bit about the, the controversy, and we'll go into our last out, series. Yeah. We'll go on to our last series, and, you know, unfortunately, my Kings are out. My my theater's over. It, I was going to have the Kings and Devils. At least in, in the West. Rematch. Yeah, I was going to say, at least in the West. Uh, but that, that, uh, that theater's over. That movie got 
you know, disband before it was made. But it is to say, Kings just they they took too many penalties, and I think what happened yeah. was the the Oilers were able to expose uh, their speed and use it to their advantage to to have the Kings be able to commit those penalties. The only thing I'll say in this series, and I, I, I probably will have more to say, but the first thing I will say to, to, sign up, set, to sort of set the standard for this series was, Kings, you had an opportunity to go up 3-1 in Game 4, and I told you, Game 4 is the most pivotal. You're up 3 nothing after the first period. You end up losing it, going to overtime, and losing. And series yeah. was tied 2-2. It went back to Edmonton, and they won three straight. That was the and, turn, yeah. Yep, that that was the turning point. And, you know, after the first period, I was thinking, this is the Kings team I was trying to tell everybody about. You know, you had Anze Kopitar who scored, Arvidsson scored, and I want to say Kempe. It was either Kempe or Ayafalo. And those two guys, you know, those guys were people that we mentioned, especially Kopitar and uh, I believe Kempe and and Ayafalo. These were guys that we mentioned, like, man, if they can step it up, which they have been. This Kings team can be can do something. Unfortunately, they weren't able to. Yeah, uh, I will say this. I, I do think the Kings ended up looking a little bit better than really what I was expecting to see yeah. from them, mm-hmm. um, especially because I knew, and I think a lot of people knew, going into this series, the Edmonton speed was was definitely going to be the number one the number one um weakness i think for the kings it was definitely going to be the aspect of the uh edmonton oilers that was going to be difficult for them to to figure out to deal with even um and yeah like you said you know edmonton exploited that weakness on them and, and garnered a lot of power plays and i forgot oh damn who was it uh, call in their game. Was it Sean McDonough? He had a yes. call at the beginning of last night's game that was like a great, like it was from last night's game, so round two, but it was a good, like the sort of theme for the, the LA series with Edmonton, which is Edmonton got an early power play against uh, Vegas last night. And Sean McDonough's comments as soon as the play was called was, and the most lethal power play unit goes gets mm-hmm. to go to work early here. And then when they score, his comment was, there they are, there's that lethality or something. He used lethal twice. He was <laughs> huge on that with them. And yeah. um yeah, true to form. I mean we say don't take penalties in the postseason, but if you're playing Edmonton, yeah. It's like Do you can't commit take. any. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like, you know, Tampa uh, in the two seasons that they won the cup, they were like that. Uh, Carolina, that was really the sword for us against yep. Tampa was we were taking too many penalties. And despite how good our penalty kill was, if they're all they're doing is being out there killing penalties, the number one unit in the league at some point is going to really take advantage of that. So yeah. similar situation hurt. there. Yeah. Yeah. So going into the uh, yesterday's series in round two, they were running at it. They were clicking at 57.3% of the power play. I mean, that they, so they also, you know, and one thing I believe I didn't mention last episode 
was, you know, I mentioned how good their power play was. They beat the single season record for best power play percentage at, I want to say 32.3%. And they beat a Montreal Canadiens team, I think in the seventies. I don't know if it was the same Montreal team that had the, the best record until Boston just broke it. But I mean, if if you want any record broken, like all time record, just go to the back to that 72, 73 uh, Montreal team. Cause apparently it was really good, but uh, yeah, it, it, this is a team that you especially don't want to take penalties against guys like dry and McDavid are going to make you pay. And if they can't make you pay Hyman's there to clean up that rebound and, and get that greasy goal that typically we see guys like Kreider and Pavelski able to, uh, to manage and, that 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 might be the most well-rounded power play we've ever seen in 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 the modern era, especially obviously it broke the record for all time. But I've never seen a power play just be so fluid and and so just superb, so automatic. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like you they're going the power play. You're like, yeah, goal's gonna get scored here. It doesn't matter if it's McDavid or Drysaitel right. or whoever. They gotta they gotta hold off this power play for a tenth of the period. Yeah, good good friggin' luck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, one thing I'll mention before I even forget. So this is the first obviously this is Eichel's first uh, playoff series. And you oh, know, good point. He, was with, he, he was with Buffalo, so he never made it. But this is now going to be a McDavid versus Eichel. So number one, number two overall draft pick, respectively, uh, from 2015. And, you know, I will say I'll give credit to Eichel. Uh, I will also say in the podcast, I'm not a Sabres fan who's like, you know, clenching his fists and yelling at the clouds because Eichel left. I, Eichel I think I shows up. Yeah, and I think <laughs> yeah, I, I've mentioned it on the on the podcast previously. The the way that our management handled it, and the way that our owners handled the situation, I don't blame him for leaving. He gave seven years to this this uh, team, and he did his best. Had some of his greater years at Buffalo, uh, but you know, he, it was time for for him to move on and. And, you know, you look at that, we got Alex Tuck out of that and Peyton Krebs. And Peyton Krebs was a pretty, you know, solid fourth liner who was getting goals for us. And Alex Tuck went on and went and scored, uh, I think, close to 40 goals. Did he get 38 or 37, something like that? Like, you know, we, we and he's young. He, Alex Tuck is young, too. So I like the trade. And, you know, it's not like we got nothing from the trade. I think both both ends are really going to like their return and what they got. So so far, I feel like it's a it's a trade we can't definitively say a team has specifically won. But anyway, to go back on my uh, on uh, on track here, uh, lo and behold, the game winning goal, the icer, the dagger, um, Eichel strips McDavid of the puck and he shoots it down the ice to score the goal and to ice the game at at uh, five three. Or was it six? I thought it was six four. Yeah, yeah, my bad. Six yeah, it was dry soil. Yeah, home. <laughs> we had the, the meme okay. today. Yeah. Raise your hand if you've scored four goals yes. for your team and still lost. Still lost, yep. Yeah. Uh, so this is where I wanted to mention. I, I, I mentioned it earlier when you mentioned the scoring diversity of the Seattle Kraken, and that's why they're a fun team to watch. I haven't been able to word it correctly. Um, I know that on the podcast I mentioned that I hated McDavid. Uh-huh. And then I sort of addressed that I didn't hate McDavid, but I will say here, this is what I hate about the Edmonton Oilers. Their lack of scoring diversity makes it so boring for them to watch. Like when you know that the only goal scorers are going to be McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl, and they're going to score on the power play, 
that predictability kind of factors into, you know, your sort of fun factor. And you're like, if the same two guys are scoring and yes, they're breaking records. And, you know, McDavid had 150 points this season. It's not to take away and say he's a boring player to watch, but it is to say, you know, can we at least get some more, uh, diversity can we get like a different script i feel like it's new just POV. yeah new pov it's like gosh it's it's great that these guys are just producing like they're you know they're lemieux and and um gretzky of those the those eras but gosh like leon dreisler had four goals last night and i first of all i thought his fourth goal late in the third period was his hat trick goal so i'm like oh there there's the hat trick and then I saw no hats thrown on the ice and they quickly dropped the puck. I'm like, I mean, I know that this place is full of Vegas fans, but you'd imagine that some Oilers fans would throw their hat on the ice. And then later on, it was Dude, announced that it was a sport. I thought that the hats took a while to come down in Dallas for Pavelski's, actually. Okay. Okay. I was like, like the reverse situation in Dallas. I was like, I was like, wait a minute. Wasn't that his hat trick? I was like, I thought that was Pavelski's hat trick. There's like nothing coming down. And they were celebrating and, and then they started skating off and then they did a wide angle. And then I could see some hats coming in. And I was like, wow, I don't think I don't think the stadium knew right away that that was a hat trick, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'd have to agree. It was it, it just threw me off. And, you know, I again, I didn't watch that game, so I, I can't uh, discuss my reaction to, to Pavelski, but mine, mine was the same exact reaction to the Leon Dreisaitl goal where, you know, he scored and I knew it was a hat trick goal. I knew it was a, uh, uh, one that would count him as a hat trick, but I could have sworn him like, didn't Kane score or didn't like McDavid score? Like surely he didn't get all four and he did. And I don't know when I missed it. Cause I watched the whole game. So, I mean, maybe it was the one time I was on my phone or something, but I don't know. It, it threw me off and, and it just kind of made me think like, you know, that this is, this is my problem with the Edmonton Oilers team. Yes. They're talented. I give them that credit. Yes. Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid are, are probably the best duo in sports since, you know, uh, Pippen and, and Jordan. I've heard that being thrown around and, and it's certainly mm. a comparable, but, it's just to say, like, when you know you're going to turn on the TV and watch Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl do their thing, the predictability about it just makes it like, eh, okay. You know, like, eh, it is what it is. You know, oh, Leon yeah. Dreisaitl scored. Oh, McDavid scored. Here and we are. And you know what it is? The excitement comes when you see those guys get shut down. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, I think the Kings were able to do that last year. I think they held McDavid to zero points. I don't know if somebody in, did. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was in consecutive games. I want to say they did it in a playoff game last year. Um, but regardless yeah. if it was a regular season or the playoffs, it was like, holy crap. There, he's only Andy. He has more. Oh, my gosh. This, what was this stat? Son of a bitch. The stat was like he has more games where he scored fill in the blank then he's had games where he doesn't he hasn't scored a point and i, I want to say he's had more four plus point games yes. than yes. no point games or something yes yes that was a stat thank you i, I heard that and I, I couldn't believe it because it just shows like 
it is more impressive when this guy isn't scoring than when he is. So yes, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that point because I think that's exactly the perspective I I have of of Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaitel. I tell you what, I have Edmonton winning this one. I think you know as part of the theater. I have that 2006 yeah. Stanley Cup rematch yeah, spotted. That's right. But I will tell you what, that theater was hinging upon that that Winnipeg team coming out of round one. So now that they haven't, and now that game one is over, um, this this Vegas team, I, I could see them probably taking out Edmonton and getting one step further. I mean, let's not forget, this team did take it to a Stanley Cup final before. They they have been there as a franchise. Um, and now they have Jack Eichel. Um, so I think in terms of this series, I'm I'm looking forward to game two. I think game two and game three are going to be very pivotal, uh, not necessarily game four as much as, as it generally is, especially because of how evenly weighted these teams are. You have the uh, Oilers stacking up with all their scoring abilities, all their arsenal there. But I mentioned it earlier, and I'll be more specific now since we're on this team. The Vegas defense is huge. They've got six guys who average whose average height is six three, and the lightest player is one ninety seven, and that's not you know you and me one ninety seven where we have a little chunk you know that's yeah. sheer muscle, sheer muscle. Yeah. yeah exactly. So they're a team that is going to be able to take care of you know the strongest aspects of of Edmonton, and Edmonton is going to have to figure out a way to win still. So. You know what? I mean, this one's also going to be up there with, with uh, in terms of entertainment value out in the West. Yeah, I, I honestly love the remaining series. I really do. I think if you were to play out the first round and you know, and change the matchups and do simulations, I honestly believe that this was the best uh, remaining eight teams to have stellar series. They're they're almost watch. They all are. I know we mentioned that, you know, maybe that Carolina series is a sweep, but I think I just, I have a, I have a, a good feeling that uh, New Jersey is going to rebound it and at least take it to six games, you know, and, and uh, I believe, I believe Vegas wins in seven. I think this goes seven um, with Persuat and Skinner and that they're not the greatest goalies. Yeah. And I, I'm not mentioning that towards the, uh, towards the score. I know that, you know, one letting five, the other letting four. But it is to say, Bersois was Vegas's back. Uh, sorry, Bersois was Winnipeg's backup to Connor Hallibuck, and Stuart Skinner was backup to Mike Smith when he was starter, and sort of got thrown into a starting role this year. Sure, he made the All Star. Oh, actually, he's the guy. Okay, so when I talked about the Calder Trophy, it was Baneers, Power, and Stuart Skinner. That was the other guy. So sorry about okay. that tangent, but Glad we figured that out. <laughs> yeah, that, that just random things that come to your mind that you have to say if you're an, an ADHD person. So anyway, um, Stuart Skinner was the backup to Mike Smith. And when Mike Smith left, he sort of picked up that role. But it was sort of a duel with Jack Campbell, because when Jack Campbell was signed, he was the starter. So he didn't really get a full season until this year. He's been prim- primarily a backup. So it's like two backups against one another. Um, you, and that's why you saw a high scoring game yesterday. So I feel like with that 
factored into how potent these offenses are, as we saw last night, it's going to be a good series. And I think it goes at distance. Um, I don't think we gave picks in other series, but I think actually Florida comes out of the Leafs series in six. I think Florida makes it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I think they play with the expectations that they were supposed to have last year, this year, with the way they've been playing and with how Matthew Kachuk has sort of revitalized this uh, Florida Panthers team. Yeah. No, um, I definitely want to echo that. I, I yeah. do. I, I don't want anybody. I know that everybody's surprised. Oh my God, Florida overcame Boston the whole because of the whole you know mantra around Boston. But let's not forget where Florida was last year, and they're it's only one season later, so they're not too far away from that. And like you said, they added a really big piece to the puzzle and to Chuck. So I also, I mean, I can sympathize with you. They are a wild card team but they are it's almost like they're a quasi top contender too because of how you know how um how clo- how little removed we are from last postseason last regular season you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know i think all the all the florida panthers need was to sort of settle in you know i i think for a franchise that has never i don't think they've ever won the president's trophy and hasn't really ever been at the top it was maybe sort of the same pressure that Boston was dealing with, with man, you have high expectations and if you don't reach them, that you're going to be a failure. So, and that was constantly what those players were hearing last year on that Florida Panther team to where it maybe got to them mentally. But this year it's like, you know, we don't have that expectation anymore and we're playing with a purpose. You know, we're, we're, we just defeated the best team in the NHL, both regular in the regular season and just in the last, Gosh, 50 years. So they have a lot to, they have a chip on their shoulder. They're going into a Toronto team that doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. So it's like another series where they have the advantage in. And, you know, I, I will and say. And it's another Ray, team that's already surpassed their expectations too. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least finally reached them, you know, like they, they reached oh, the bare yeah. minimum. So anything higher than that is just house money. So both those teams are playing with house money. It'll be a fun, exciting uh, game. And like I mentioned earlier, it's game uh, two tonight because it's it's uh, May 4th. So game two of that series is on tonight. Must watch. It literally starts in 30 minutes uh, as the time of we're recording this. And I will say this to, to end my prediction in this series and to move on to the last one quickly in Dallas. I think this... Um, Panthers team I really think that that they move on to the next round and I also think that um uh Kachuk wins the cons might I really do uh mm-hmm. I like it, it. It, it it it's not necessarily a hot take I know he's probably one of the more favorited ones but you know oh one thing I will add that I actually meant to add was also I'll also say this take Florida won the Kachuk trade. When that trade came out and when Huberto left and Uyghur left, I saw I saw so many people in the comments section of, again, all the posts that had the trade um, listed on their Instagram. I checked the comments to try and see if people were residing with me in the fact that the Panthers won that trade. And everyone was like, no, Panthers lost. You know, how do you give up Huberto and Uyghur for Kachuk? Kachuk was nothing. He only had one good season. Kachuk is smeared it in your face and I love it 
because he's American and he played with yeah. a lot of pressure in that Canadian he's, market. He's smearing it with his mouth guard in your face. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't even think that that guy wears that mouth guard. He literally just chews that thing. Uh, like he just it's... molds them because that's what the directions <laughs> say to do. <laughs> Plus it probably makes it easier to chew. Those things are pretty hard when you don't. So I, yeah, I think he literally just molds it so he can chew it. And he gets under your skin. And I'll tell you this, man, if I was an NHL player and I see a guy who's just like, like chewing that thing in my face, I want to punch him. Like I'd want to punch him. You know, he's chirping me. And then at the same time, he's not talking. He's just, the freaking goals and he's kicking your goalie off. Yes. Yeah. I would, I don't, I totally understand why he's a rat dude, but he plays it perfectly. And I love it. Um, but, and lastly, I'll end it with the Dallas series. This one's really hard for me to, to sort of pick a team. Um, if you had asked me maybe last week who would win this series, I'd say uh, the Dallas Stars just with the way they were playing and how Ottinger was playing. Now I'm a little bit – I have to get a little bit more credit to, to Seattle in this series. I think they can take it to Same. seven. I think they can take it to seven. I don't think they'll win the series – but I'm giving them the credit that they deserve and that they showed against uh, Colorado. Um, I think this Dallas team has a little bit more depth with the way that Rope Hintz has been playing. Tyler Sagan and, and uh, Jamie Benn have picked it up. They now have uh, Joe Pavelski back. And yes, they still lost game one, even with all his help. But, you know, if, if they can get that depth, <laughs> if they can get that depth scoring, I really feel as though this, this uh, Dallas Stars team will move on. But it's going to be, you know, uh, two gauntlets going at one another. It's going to be two titans that are just beating the shit out of each other uh, for seven oh, yeah. games. This is, yeah, this is the highest level matchup, and it's an e- a pretty equal one, too. Yeah. Oh, wait, yep. are you talking about Dallas and Seattle or yeah. Vegas? Oh, Dallas okay, Seattle. I-, I meant to say that about Vegas and Edmonton. <laughs> hey, I- I'm I'll sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I think Vegas and Edmonton is, is the it's the closest matchup in terms of, you know, pound for pound matching a team up against another one. And at the same time, I think it's some of the highest caliber teams being matched up against each other as well. Um, did you, did you finish or I was just going to run through my predictions fast with almost no commentary. No. Yeah. Go for it. I'm done. Okay. Uh, Seattle in six, Vegas in seven, Carolina in four, in Toronto in seven. Okay. All right. I respect it. I don't I don't know if I said my uh my Kane series pick, but I think it's Kane's in six. Six, okay. Um, yeah. Yep. I, I like all the other ones though. Um I don't know if Carolina <laughs> goes all the way and sweeps them, but I respect all the other picks. Those those are good ones and I think that these I think most of these go game seven. I think you had two and I had two as well. Yeah. And the one I the well, aside from Carolina, the one that I didn't have at seven was six. So. Was six, yeah. and it could easily the the, the Seattle Dallas series easily could go seven too. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, right. without, without further ado, um, like I said, the tonight's games are the Leafs and the Florida Panthers. So tune in, watch those games. Uh, that's gonna be a fun series. And then the other game tonight is also the Stars and, and Kraken. So we'll see how the Stars can rebound against their uh, game one disappointment. 
But without further ado, everyone, continue to enjoy the uh, playoffs. Make sure you can watch as many games as possible. Um, thanks for listening Don't as turn always. Off after the second period, thinking it's the third. Yeah, yes, but yeah, definitely don't make that mistake, especially in quite a historic game. Um, but without further ado, yep. uh, we we appreciate you guys uh, listening and peace, peace out. out.